And we are on air. It is Monday night, September the 12th, and uh, Fan for Racing Radio is on air for our Kansas NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for tonight's show, uh, I guess last week was Salsa Gala Week. This week is Jay Huseman Week. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, you've mentioned it before. It's great we have such an expansive team now. Uh, we can help each other out, fill in where needed. I know Sal had some uh, some work he was doing there, going to hang around, I think, uh, L.A., wasn't it? So uh, not able to fill or be on this week. Right, right. I think he was uh, working up in the Las Vegas area. But, yeah, he had some work he was doing and was out of town. And uh, so uh, Sal... Uh, and you were busy last Thursday, so Sal uh, stood in for you on Thursday, and so you're here tonight. So really appreciate the uh, cooperative effort there, and uh, tonight we do have a lot to talk about. We're reviewing all of the races out of at uh, Kansas Speedway from this past weekend, as well as in our first half hour, we'll talk about the latest short track news. Uh, we'll review the Arkham Menard Series race. It finally took place on Sunday morning at Kansas Speedway, and we'll include some updates from the Arca East and the Arca West Series. At 9 o'clock tonight, we have a guest tonight, Christian Rose, driver of the number 42 at Cook Racing Technology in the Arkham Menard Series, joins our conversation. He finished seventh at Can- in the Kansas Lottery 150 this weekend, and uh, when we complete our, our our conversation with Christian, uh, we'll also cover the NASCAR Truck Series race at Kansas. That was an elimination race, uh, Jay, so that was uh, a pretty exciting race. Uh, and then after that, starting at 9.30, we will review the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series at Kansas Speedway. We're going to end our episode, of course, with our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off at 10. And uh, we always look forward uh, to the conversations that come up there. I know one of our hot topics will probably start today, but we'll end on when we do our podcast, which, by the way, is a programming note for all of our listeners. We are doing a podcast on Wednesday uh, that we will publish for everyone on Wednesday night. And that's because, Jay, we have racing taking place at Bristol Motor Speedway on Thursday night. Well, and that gets into this time of year. We got a couple of Thursday night races. So, yeah, make the adjustment to do the podcast. I know uh, you said uh, Mike was going to be available to still do hot topics. That's great. We can all get together in the afternoon and still put out the program because uh, obviously Wednesday there's going to be some follow-up to the topics we're going to talk about tonight. Get, hopefully get a little yes, more uh, information. I was getting that. Thank you, Jay. Yes, uh, so we're going to start some topics tonight, but I've, I've got a feeling we'll kind of finish talking about them again on Wednesday when we do the podcast. So uh, if you listen tonight, you'll want to definitely tune in on uh, our podcast on Thursday, on Wednesday evening. Uh, as we preview uh, the races that are coming up this weekend at Bristol. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into the short track news. Uh, I do have here from Racing America, uh, let's start there, Jay. Um, 
the entry forms are available for the 51st running of the Winchester 400. Uh, that is a big event. Uh, I'm sure the entry list is going to be huge. Uh, that race will be taking place in Winchester, Indiana on Sunday, October the 16th. Um, but they've had some drivers like Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Eric Jones, David Stremme, Ross Kenseth, Matt, uh, I'm sorry, Scott Hance, Brian Ross, Travis Braden, Braden Ryan Lawler, Boris Jerkovic, uh, Jerkovic, Bobby Parsley, Noah Gregson, Jeff Croquette, Stephen Massey, Carson Hosevar, and last year's winner was Sammy Smith. So those are some of the names that have raced this race in the past. Uh, it's going to be fun to see who's on uh, this list for this year in October. And this is one of those events, uh, again, that as we've expanded our uh, social media or platforms to watch racing, uh, it's going to take some to get to, say, the level of the Snowball Derby. But Sal talked about one out in California, that at, um, and I can't think of the name of the tra- Irwindale. We got a couple throughout the Mideast in this Winchester 400, obviously 50, uh, 51 or 50 races so far. It's growing, and you mentioned the names, so you know the names that have been there are going to be on it. Um, that's that's where they make their name. The owners and drivers are watching them from the cup level, so that's where they get noticed. And this one has become a really big one for the Winchester 400. Also, there's a note here that the All American 400 tickets are on sale, so um, it's one of the biggest weekends of the year. Uh, for the All-American 400 in America's favorite track, uh, Saturdays and Sunday, October the 28th through the 30th, uh, and, uh, that's in Nashville, Tennessee. So the All-American 400, uh, includes, uh, the ARCA CRA Super Series, the Southern Super Series, the ARCA Midwest Tour. Uh, there's a lot of racing, uh, that's gonna take place there. So uh, if you want to get a ticket for that, I'd suggest you call early. That's at the Nashville Fairground Speedway, and uh, you want to definitely get those tickets as quickly as possible because I'm sure they will sell out. And, that, and that's another event. That one's a little closer to me. I, I attended, I believe it was two years ago, Ty Majeski, Chandler Smith, Bubba Pollard, um, JoJo Wilkinson, we've had her on the show. These are the names that show up there, and um, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Mason Dingus is another one we've seen starting to make some Xfinity starts, uh, truck starts. So these are the names that you want to be keeping an eye on. And then the late model tour series, Stephen Nassi, Bubba Pollard, I mentioned. Those are names that have been constant there in in the uh, late model series. Definitely, and they're all top competitors. Uh, some other news that I noticed at Racing America is that Timothy Peters, a lot of people will remember him from the Camping World Truck Series, he's going to return to late, his late model roots along with his crew chief, Marcus Richard, Richmond, to compete in the Triple Crown Valley Star Credit Union 300 at Martinsville Speedway on September the 24th. He's going to be competing with RNS race cars and will also field out entries for Jonathan Schaefer, uh, and Connor Jones, though they will be his teammates there at our NS car race cars. Uh, so it's good to see Timothy Peters. Uh, they, they 
talk more about this may be his last race. So uh, if you want to see Timothy Peters race, you want to get out there to Martinsville for this race on uh, September the 24th at Martinsville. I know a few years back when he did a fill-in, return to the truck series, I can't remember who was uh, injured or replaced, but he did a fill-in. We had hoped, uh, you and I, Sharon, both. He is one of those in the garage area. If you ever get a chance to meet one of the nicest guys nicest you'll guys. ever meet. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, um, so we were kind of hoping that developed into a little bit more uh, more races. It didn't happen. So, and, you know, it comes to that point where everybody comes to the end of their career. So I hope that uh, if he's able to, he keeps racing. But if this is the end, you, like you said, you definitely want to go out and get to see him. You get the chance to meet him. Uh, that's just a pleasure. Yes, indeed. Also, Carson Josepa, who raced uh, and earned a second-place finish in the race on third at uh, um, Kansas on, what was it, Friday night, uh, returned back to Michigan and claimed to win also on Saturday night in the JEGS CRA All-Stars Tour presented by Chevrolet Performance Birch, at Birch Run Speedway. It was a Triple Crown Championship 100 event, lasting 95 laps. And after passing Kyle Crump to take the lead on lap six, Hosevar would have to fight off challengers on five restarts to finally set up a long green flag run and get the checkers after a disappointing Friday night in the truck series on Saturday, on Friday night. So uh, out of Kansas Speedway. So he did get a win this weekend, which was really good for Carson Hosevar. He did, and this is one of those that it truthfully makes these drivers even that more dangerous. As we see some drivers, I know Carson Hosevar still getting his career started there in the truck series, but we've seen even some of the top cup-level drivers go back to these late model races, um, working on their skill, working on uh, uh, seat time, just being in the car. Maybe a little bit different car, but seat time on tracks is seat time. And Carson Hosevar is one of those, the more he gets, the better he gets, the more dangerous he's going to be. Uh, he was so close to getting his first win, which would have moved him on in the Truck Series Championship. You mentioned that heartbreak. Uh, I don't think we've heard the last of him for sure. Uh, ben Rhodes went through no. it a few years ago, and he came back and won a championship. No. Okay. Also, I'm going to move over here to uh, Flow Racing. Uh, so we can cover some of the events there. We talked last week about the taste of the epic Eldora Speedway during the World 100, uh, and a lot of things uh, happened in that weekend uh, for race fans. And if you missed it, I would suggest that you go to the uh, quick links over at Flow Racing, and you can catch some of the racing that took place out there at Eldora last weekend. Well, and that was one of those, if you're a dirt fan, you were keeping an eye on. I mentioned uh, working at Jackson uh, Saturday night. So they had a laptop up in the uh, booth that, that was on as well. Uh, we were obviously watching uh, Spencer Hughes out of Meridian, Mississippi. But we saw Superman. I mentioned this uh, going into it. Superman Jonathan Davenport picking up his yes. fifth uh, World 100 title. Yes, he did. And that was pretty exciting uh, for him. But you're right. Uh, there were just so many, and that that was just one of the races that took place 
out at Eldora this weekend. It was a it was a big week of racing out there. You know, I think it was either uh, now I'm trying to think of it as Thursday night or Friday night. They completed the dream, um, which was rained out earlier in the year. So they they finished that up, and I believe Brandon Overton, if I'm not mistaken, ended up winning that one. Um, so yeah, there yeah. was a, a lot of racing. You're right, and then all the preliminary races that they got to get to just set that field. Um, Eighty some cars, I believe, were there, and they they only bring in 24. Yep, it's uh, pretty amazing. Also, um, uh, in in Sweet Springs, Missouri, Buddy Colpoid surged to a late, very late in the race to score a sweet USAC midget win. Uh, he's another driver that comes over to the truck series now and then, uh, so it's good to see him get that win. Uh, and also, Tony Stewart's adding four starts, starting spots to the World 100 at Eldora, so he kind of uh, increased uh, the number of drivers that could participate in that race. So uh, that was pretty cool to see. And that's one as a promoter. I've worked with several that do things like that. You see that. I mean, they want the best field there for the fans, for the drivers. They know what how hard it is just to get there and to try and make it. Uh, unfortunately, you have some issues, whether they be of your own doing or mechanical. So Tony Stewart doing an honorable thing there, uh, giving those couple extra chances there with those provisionals. Yes, indeed. Uh, okay, now, you know, you remember last year in the Arkham Menard series, Corey Heim looked like he was on his way to get a win, and at the end of the race it wasn't him that won the race. So he's had this race marked on his calendar uh, all year long to get back to Kansas Speedway, and he got his redemption in the Kansas Lottery 150 at Kansas Speedway on Sunday morning. And we knew he was a favorite going into the race, and you're right. He he definitely had some a uh, little bit of extra motivation when a driver feels they had one uh, taken for him or got away from him. Uh, they certainly come back with that uh, vengeance and enthusiasm to make sure they don't do it again. Yeah, Corey Heim had the car to beat until he crashed out of the race while racing Drew Dollar for the lead, Uh, and it ended his day. So he couldn't wait to get back there. 20-year-old from Marietta, Georgia, dominated the Kansas Lottery 150 turn his second Arkham and Art Series victory of the season for Venturini Motorsports. Uh, Heim started on the pole in the number 20 Toyota and was uh, practically untouchable. He only gave up the lead twice due to pit strategy, but each time he quickly regained the lead uh, once the race resumed. Uh, the final challenge for Heim, though, came following a late caution flag. Uh, on lap 98 when Raja Carruth crashed in turn one after a tire failed on his number six Chevrolet. The green-white checkered start followed, and Heim quickly pulled away from the field to comfortably score his ninth career Arkham Art Series victory. So uh, that was pretty cool to see. And Nick Sanchez, had a, he kind of had a big night, too. I think he finished second in this race but he also secured a championship. 
Okay, and that does uh, then lock up that championship. We've been talking about this battle um, throughout the year. Uh, unfortunately, you mentioned there, Rajah Karuth, that's been one of them battling. Uh, had some well, issues I'm talking about the, the General Tires Super Speedway Challenge. Right. Uh, that one, uh, okay. the four races uh, on, on the Super Speedway throughout the year. I'm trying to pull up my ARCA page. It's not loading for some reason. Um, the four select races throughout the year, one of many in the Arca Menard series that they have the championship within the year, um, not the overall championship. That hasn't been decided yet. It's only on those uh, tracks that are paved ovals that are greater than 1.5 miles in length. Uh, Sanchez did finish runner-up, and that allowed him to secure the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge Championship for Rev Racing and his team owner, Max Siegel. So that was kind of a big deal for that. Sorry, I apologize for that. Video popped up, but not the page. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay, I'm going to go to the uh, race results if you want to go there, Sal, Jay. Yep. Usually I'm calling Sal, Jay. Now I'm calling you, (laughs) Sal. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Corey Heim was the winner, uh, followed by Nick Sanchez. Sammy Smith came in third. Then it was Daniel Dye and Ryan Huff who rounded out the top five drivers there. Uh, coming in sixth through tenth was Parker Chase. Our guest, Christian Rose, had a seventh-place finish, uh, the first time for him in the Arkham Menard Series. Amber Balkin finished eighth, and Tony Breidinger in ninth. John Garrett rounds out the top 10. And as you mentioned there, uh, the the points battle, uh, look look at the points in a minute, but Nick Sanchez Mm -hmm. finishing second um, behind Corey Heim. Going to stretch that out a little bit, picked up the uh, Super Speedway Championship. Daniel Dye, though, fourth place, still hanging tough. And unfortunately, and I don't see, I know he slid back a little bit there, Rajah Karuth ended up in the 12th position um, so that's going to gap it a little bit. Uh, Nick Sanchez trying to finish off this Arca Menard Series championship. Yes, indeed. And as, let's go ahead and cover the uh, uh, points for the Arca Menard Series, Jay. All right, let me load that. It's been been super close um, throughout the entire year, getting to be a little more spaced out. Nick Sanchez is your leader now by 12 points. And we've seen the three drivers kind of stay within nine points all year. Like I mentioned, uh, Rajah Karuth, unfortunately, another uh, tough finish, is now back 38 points. Uh, we got 17 of the 20 races in. Now, Sanchez does have the three victories, which is really what's uh, tipping the scales in his favor right now. Daniel Dye. 17 races, 15 of them have been top 10s. That's the most of any driver as far as top 10s. Rounding out the top 10, you got Greg Van Alsten, Tony Breidinger in fourth and fifth. And then Sammy Smith with just 13 of the 17 starts, but three victories, still six in points. Amber Balkane, Brad Smith, Zachary Tinkle, we've had him on the show, um, and Taylor Gray rounding out your top 10. Yes, indeed. Um, you're right. The battle has been at the top of this list. 
uh, and uh, Roger Carruth, you got to feel for him. He's had two races in a row uh, with finishes that uh, did not help him in the point standings. So you know that next race uh, he's going to be looking uh, to kind of gain some ground there. So these next few races are going to be uh, pretty interesting. Uh, let me just kind of cover when that next race is going to be. Uh, actually, the Bush Beans 200 uh, and the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, will be September 15th, 6.30 p.m. at Bristol Motor Speedway. So this is uh, one of those three-for-one nights because that's also the season finale for the Arkham Menard Series East. So three series, one race, all at Bristol Motor Speedway. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So, uh, in fact, uh, this is one of the reasons why we're not doing the show on Thursday night, because September 15th is on Thursday night. Now that you say it in that manner, that's also somebody's birthday show. Wow, how about that? Oh, is it? My son, my son, yeah, my son reminded me that he asked about coming by to see him, and I'm like, why? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I got one of those uh, annual events coming up. But this is a well, happy huge, early birthday. Uh, thank you. Uh, this is a huge weekend at Bristol. You mentioned that of the the final of the Sioux Chief um, Showdown. It is a elimination race for the Cup Series. It's the regular season championship. Uh, finale for the Xfinity series. So just an absolute huge weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. And I can't think of a better place to have so many different events like that on such a great facility. No kidding. It's it's going to be an exciting weekend. And just remember, it all starts Thursday night. The truck series is racing after the Arkham Menard series on Thursday night. So uh, Friday night is the Xfinity race, and Saturday night is the Cup Series race. Uh, Just so you know, too, the next race for the Arca West is the Napa Auto Care 150. That race will take place on October 1st at 6.45 p.m. Pacific time, that's 9.45 Eastern, at All-American Speedway on the West Coast. That will be available uh, on Flow Racing uh, for this weekend, so uh, definitely check that out. But all these series have a lot going on. This is the season finale for the ARCA East. Let's go ahead and cover their points. All right. While I'm pulling that up, uh, I left the truck series out there. Uh, It's still a big weekend for them as that's the first race of their next round. We just had some eliminations we'll talk about in the truck series recap, but that starts their next round. And how important is it to start a round off with a uh, good race? So just as important for the truck series as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, On the ARCA East, ARCA Menards East standings, Sammy Smith, we've talked about, he's been running some Xfinity Series races, trying to lock up his second Arkham Menards East Series championship. And with the stat line he's got, uh, it's going to be tough to beat him. Six races, four of them have been victories, all five, or all six of the races in the top five. Built himself up a 33-point lead. Now, Taylor Gray, second, does have one victory, five top fives and five top tens mentioned 33 points back. Leland Honeyman, 
three top fives, five top tens is 47 back. Then you got Stephanie Moyer at minus 102, along with Brad Smith uh, at 102 back. That's your top five. Our guest tonight right now, Christian Rose, uh, made five starts in the Arkham Menards East Series, sitting six in points with two top tens. Jake Finch, we've talked about him several times. Jesse Love, Raja Karuth, and Donald Feig rounding out your top ten. Those have all made only uh, three and four starts, it looks like. Yeah, the only other driver to have a win in the RK East is Brandon Jones. Uh, he's only raced one race, and he won that race. So, uh, But in case you're wondering, wondering how the numbers add up, with uh, four wins for Sammy Smith and one win for Taylor Gray, uh, Brendan Jones is the uh, sixth winner uh, this season in the ARCA East Series. So uh, definitely looking forward to that uh, season finale. Also, the Sioux Chief Showdown. I'm hoping they've got the updated numbers here, and they do. All right, let me see if I can pull that one up. There's been nine of ten races raced already this season. It's the series within the series. Ten races of the 20 races of the Arkham Menard series uh, that are designated as part of the Sioux Chief Showdown competition. I started at Phoenix. They raced at Iowa, Berlin, Elko, Mid-Ohio, uh, Lucas Oil, Indianapolis Raceway Park, Watkins Glen International, the Milwaukee Mile, DeCoin on Dirt, and now this week they'll be racing on Bristol. And here you're going to see a. <laughs> and here you're going to see a little bit different, even though the Arkham Menard series is a big part of this, the change-up because, as you mentioned, drivers, these are on the shorter tracks. Younger drivers such as Sammy Smith, Jesse Love, Taylor Gray can run all the races. So those are your top three. Sammy Smith currently sitting at 375 points. Jesse Love at 349. Taylor Gray 343. Right behind him, Daniel Dye at 3.42, and then Nick Sanchez at 3.35. So while Nick is leading the main Arkham Menard series, he's fifth in this short uh, Sioux Chief showdown battle. So that tells you the mixture that we get when we get to run these races. Exactly right. Now, the Arca West still has uh, some different races to race. They'll be racing October 1st, as I mentioned, at All-American, but they also have October 14th in Las Vegas Bullring, and I'm going to be there for that race. And then Friday, November 4th, is their season finale at Phoenix Raceway. So three more races on the books here yet for the Arco West. Let's hit their uh, point standings. Jay, are you still there? Nope, sorry, Did I, I had it on mute there for Nope, I'm oh. here. Okay. Uh for the Arkham Menard Series West here. There we go. We got uh Jake Drew as kind of taking command of this one. Another wonderful stat line. This one didn't start out as strong, but he has come on as of late. Eight races now, four victories. Again, all eight races in the top five. That's tough to beat. Puts Tanner Rife uh, at minus 52. He's got two victories, uh, four top fives, six top tens. And then Cole Moore right behind him at minus 55. 
Todd Souza having a very good season at minus 60. Those three just within eight points themselves. And fifth place, Joey East is at minus 87. Rounding out the top 10, though, you got Kakuma Koga, Bridget Burgess, Paul Pedronisili Jr., Austin Herzog, and then Andrew Tuttle. And I know we talked about this. Uh, Pedro Nassili's didn't run the uh, Oregon race, so only six races there for the Pedro Nassili. Yeah. Um, but now for the Arkham Menard series, there are only three races left in that series as well. They'll be racing Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend, but also on October 1st, that race at Salem Speedway, and their season finale is October the 8th at Toledo Speedway. So that series is winding down as well. Uh, so a lot to look forward to uh, this year uh, with this season winding down and seeing how all of these standings uh, end up uh, in the Arkham Menard Series East and West. Certainly, and you see some great names that we're going to see either become champions or battle for it for sure. Um, talking about Jake Drew, he's run a, a couple of the Arkham Menards main series and, and Sioux Chief Showdown races, but we saw Jesse Love, champion come from the West, battling in that, and Sammy Smith, and we've already seen once he turned 18. I, I don't remember if he did a truck race. I know he's been running some Xfinity races. All right. Our guest is here now, though, Jay, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him into the queue, and we'll get started uh, with our interview with him. Uh, Joining us for tonight's show is Christian Rose. He's driver of the number 42 at Cook Racing Technology and uh, a big sponsor of West Virginia Tourism. So, uh, Christian, thanks for coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. I love coming on. Well, I was so excited to see you get that seventh-place finish at Kansas this weekend. I know in the pre-race info that was sent out, uh, that's exactly what you were shooting for. Uh, and it's your first top ten in the Arkham Menard Series. So congratulations on achieving your goal there. Hey, uh, thank you so much. I mean, that was our goal, run all the laps, learn as much as possible, and then hopefully we're, we were going to come out with the top ten if we just ran our race, which uh, is exactly what we did. Um, I think we had fifth place speed uh, in the race car. We just tried some strategy. It just didn't work out for us. But I love the call from our team. We were aggressive with it, and, and it was uh, just didn't work out the way we wanted it to. But to come home with the seventh and, and run with the cars we ran with and show we had speed was uh, definitely a pleasant uh, a pleasant result for our team and, and a good building block going forward uh, as we continue to try to finish the season strong. Okay, you mentioned going forward. Are you going to be in Bristol this weekend? Or is it uh, Thursday, yes, we were, I guess? We're, yeah, so Thursday race is a little different, but, yeah, we're uh, we're going to Bristol, and I'm very excited for my first time um, at Bristol. I know it's going to present its own set of challenges, and it's, it's going to be a interesting new place for me, so it's going to be pretty much the same goal when we show up to Bristol. Let's, let's go. Let's run all the laps. Let's try to keep the race car clean, um, as hard as that is at a place like Bristol, and, and just – come home with a good finish and good notes to where we can build and continue to string these finishes along um, and build momentum for 2023. Okay. Now that's also the season finale for the ARCA East. Um, ARCA West, uh, or uh, yeah, ARCA West and the ARCA Menard Series, they still have three races. Uh, do you have any other races beyond Bristol that you're looking at? 
Uh, yeah, so we have Toledo um, and Phoenix still circled on schedule to, to wrap this thing up. So um, possibly messing around with the idea of the bull ring if some things can come through on that end um, in Vegas. But outside of that, that should be – we're wrapping up here for 2022, and it's been a fun season. And I look forward to what we can do towards the end of the season. We, we put some of the best efforts, in my opinion, uh, from the summer months forward, and we just haven't had a lot of luck on some of those races. But – uh, the speed's in there, and, and now we're finally starting to get some of the results for, for the hard work that Bruce and all the guys are bringing to the racetrack every week. So hopefully we can continue to build on that for the next uh, three races and just show what we can do and continue that momentum in 2023 to where we can put together a strong season next year. Yeah, that's really cool. When you said next year, I was just going to ask you that. Um, what, are you, what are your plans for next year? We're still working on everything. Uh, I'm hoping to have some stuff to announce here in the next couple to eight weeks or, or so. We're working hard to uh, secure sponsorship and make sure that everything is where we need it to be. Um, and hopefully I can give a lot more information on that. But obviously we'd like to be in the same spot we're in this year and, and compete full-time in the Arkham Menard Series and hopefully have a few spot truck starts here and there and just try to do whatever we can to stay in a, in a race car as much as possible. Sounds like a good plan, Christian. Uh, we have our um... – uh, co-host here tonight, uh, Jay Huseman, and I know he has some questions for you as well. So, Jay? All right. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, Christian, congratulations on that top 10 finish. Uh, several of my questions are going to revolve around that, and, and Sharon, you guys already kind of hit on a couple of them. First off, the momentum that brings, you, you know that you're capable of it, getting them knocked out. When you go from, say, 15th to 10th place finishes, you start getting those 5th to 10th place running up front, what are the things in the shop that, other than just the, obviously, uh, positivity from the crew, but in the shop itself, in the cars and whatever that you see, kind of intangibles that you see changing? Yeah, I mean, the start off with that, the answer to that, the easiest thing is when I climbed out of the car, you can just see the guy's faces, everybody was amped up, you know, the team's known all year. They've, they've built really good race cars, and they've given me opportunities. And, and I've made rookie mistakes, right? Um, and we've had our fair share of issues as the years progress. But we've seen the speed in those races. So to finally start putting these results together, Milwaukee was the 15th. But, hey, we ran every lap. We didn't put a scratch on the race car. We just struggled with a tight race car. Um, the flat tracks just have not been our uh, go-to racetracks this year. But when we went to Kansas, we knew the speed we brought to Pocono and, and Charlotte this year. And we knew it was a good opportunity for us to – go out and showcase what we had. And uh, at the end of the day, we could have easily been a fifth place car. Um, you know, we, we ran fifth with, with the fifth place car for the majority of the race. And we, we were able to be in front of them in the majority of the race. So I think it shows what we can bring to the racetrack and, and we just continue to build off that and get better. But if you look at the guys and see how pumped and excited they are after a race like that, it, it just tells you the whole story of everybody feels good. You know, we're, we're getting the result we deserve finally. And, and hopefully we can, continue to build those as the season progresses. So, second question is, is, I know as a driver in a team, you, you want to win every race or run good every race, but there's also the realistic. You mentioned Bristol, first time there, the lofty, lofty goal, in my opinion, having watched a lot of races at Bristol, is to have a clean race car at the end of the night there. But on a first time to a track like that, does that change your, your mentality as far as, what to expect uh, going into a race like that? Uh, I wouldn't say it changes the mentality. The mentality is, is to go still put the best foot forward and best showing, but 
I'd say in a way, if you're looking to change something, our, my goal and, and our team's goal is no matter what happens, run all the laps, keep the car in one piece, and, and come home with something to build off of. It's Bristol. Uh, it's a very tough place. It's an animal of its own. Um, I've grown up my whole life watching leaders get wrecked there, last place getting wrecked there. You know, wherever you run, you're, you're not safe on the racetrack at Bristol. So it's just our goal and our personal goal is to show up, run every lap, learn as much as we can, not be in the way, and, and build off of that. That's the best uh, result we can come home with from Bristol. My last question was there, a, you alluded to it, you already got things in the work for next year, um, maybe expanding your schedule a little bit. Runs like this that, that you can see the team's progression how much does that help when you're selling to a sponsor? I mean, I know they know the team, but to have the results like that of, of the selling point of that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Obviously, the better you run, you know, the more you're going to be on camera, the more the sponsor's going to be in the light and everything else. And that's what we're trying to do is showcase uh, West Virginia tourism as much as we can. We have a beautiful state, and we're trying to bring people into our state. So the more people that see that, uh, realistically, the better – Option we better chances we have of bringing sponsors like that back on board. So, building a good finish and, and getting these finishes the way we've gone the last two weeks, it's been a huge or been huge momentum for us going forward uh, in those talks and being able to share like, look, this is where we're building and showing that we, we talked about this. We were going to have some rookie mistakes as the season went. It's my first time ever, really my first full time season ever in, in racing my whole life. So we knew the ups and downs that were going to come with it. But as it progressed, we knew at the end of the season, if things are going the way it should, we should be getting these results. And now we're starting to get them. And that's a very positive take the sponsors and show what we can build going into 2023, knowing we've run a lot of the tracks that we're going to come back and run again next year. So it only allows us to come back and be stronger and better with experience on those racetracks. So it's a good selling point in that factor. Well, that's good, and we hope uh, to hear some of those announcements as you get them finalized. Before I turn it back over to Sharon, I, once again, I just want to say congratulations on the run. And I think I said this the last time I was able to talk to you here on the show. I love the fact that you have the uh, state behind you, if you will, for the uh, West Virginia tourism. Um, I think that's awesome to see that the state is investing in racing and using it as a promotion. So. Uh, such a great sponsor you got there. And I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon for a couple more questions from her. Yeah, thank you on, on those points. I mean, our, our tourism numbers are the highest they've ever been. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good feeling to know when you bring a sponsor on board that I'm not going to take any credit in those numbers, but I know we didn't hurt it. So, I mean, that's a very positive thing for us to take and, and use. That it, it's, it's been awesome to have the state back us and, and – really try to share our mission and our goal and, and see it succeed is just a very positive thing. So thank you. I appreciate that. And speaking of that, Christian, I know you've done some really cool things with uh, the West Virginia tourism this year. What have you done lately with them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been kind of crazy. It's been a whirlwind, right? Like when we're not racing, we're yes. uh, normally up in, in the state or around the state doing things. So, uh, we did the West Virginia State Fair. We had a very good turnout and a lot of positive. We actually had people there just for us, which was a uh, wild experience, to say the least. I've never really had anything like that happen. So that was very cool. Um, <clears throat> we also got to go up and we participated in the business uh, summit over the last couple of weeks. And then went right from that to I did a charity event with the Boys and Girls Club and tried to help raise money uh, for them as a spokesman at Summit Point Raceway and got to be the Grand Marshal and represent West Virginia tourism and everything there pretty much in my hometown. So that was a very cool experience. So it's been a busy couple of weeks and, and 
coming up, we have the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, we're throwing the first pitch out there October 3rd. So we're staying busy and trying to promote the state as much as we can. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think they've been a good partner uh, of yours uh, this year in the Arkham and Art Series as well as the East and, and the West races that you've had. And I've told you this before. I'm going to say it again. I still think you have the best-looking car out there on the track. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. We, we, you're not the first one to say that, too, and it's, it's really cool to see so many people, you know, tell us that. And, and uh, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm biased, but I think we do have a very good-looking hot rod on the racetrack every week. I, I agree. Um, okay, so uh, now we're winding up here and, and everything. You, you've raced with Cook Racing Technologies this season, um, and uh, they've been a good partner of yours as well. But we don't always get a chance to really shout out the people that are working with you behind the scenes. Uh, so let's take a, a few minutes to kind of uh, give them a shout-out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's so many people, but Chris Knight especially, he's been unbelievable for us uh, yeah. this year. He, he's everything that we could do uh, on and off the racetrack. Every time I text him and ask him, you know, he's sending emails the moment I, I send him a text. And it's to help bring things uh, on board, help bring sponsors on board. Uh, he's just been incredible for us. So I, I can't say enough about the guy and everything he's done for us this year. Uh, it, it's just been a, a godsend. I, told, I tell him all the time of, of him coming on board and helping us out this year. Chris is a really good guy. You're lucky to have him with you. I, I'm very fortunate. Uh, there, there's a lot of things this year on the um, analytical side and everything we do with sponsors. I would be completely lost with if we didn't have him. So he's been uh, a good friend more than anything. Um, and, and on the business side, he's been amazing too. So uh, I can't thank him enough. He always treats my wife and myself like we're family. And, and it's uh, very cool to be able to have somebody in a sport that you, you can uh, lean on, on, the, on that kind of front. And uh, it's been awesome to have him. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Um, Christian, I know you've got uh, races that are coming up here. Are you? I, and I may have asked you this before, and I apologize if I have, but I'm going to ask it again. Um, when you're not racing in the Arkham and Art Series, are you, are you racing in other uh, series? Are you doing any late model racing or i-racing right. or anything along those lines? Um, honestly, I, I haven't had the opportunity <clears throat> as much this year. Um, next year, that's going to be a big focus is just trying to stay in something weekly. Uh, we, I want to be more hands-on in the race car, whether it's a pro-late, super-late, you know, w- whatever it comes down to. Uh, I don't care if it's a go-kart. Trying to stay in the race car and learn as much as possible to get better as a race car driver. Uh, I know that's really what it's going to come down to is, is seat time for, for somebody like me who hasn't run a lot. Um, so that's a big goal. But when I'm not in the race car, I do watch a lot of film. Um, and I've used the simulator a fair amount this year. And I think the simulator has helped me, but I think there's a fine line on a simulator of only being able to help a driver so much on a racetrack, unless it's uh, actual manufacturer back simulator, because it, it, it gives you break points. It gives you throttle points. It allows you to see a layout of a racetrack, but it, you really don't get the feel of what an actual race car is doing. So, um, for, for me personally, I, I know a lot of drivers would disagree with that and, and say that it helps them a ton. Um, for me, it, it's just not a, I have to feel a race car moving around actual with the sound and everything else to, to really, uh, get that feel and, and be a better race car driver. But uh, it does help a lot on, on other fronts of visuals and, you know, points around the racetrack. But, 
Uh, watching film is a big part for me. I watch a ton of film. I woke up this morning, first thing I did was watching the 2020 Bristol race uh, in the fall, and I'm going to continue to watch those leading into Thursday. And I think that's why at some of these racetracks I've been able to jump out and, and not be too far off right off the bat um, on some of these faster places, just watching film and trying to learn and watching the in-car camera. Well, I'll tell you what, we've really enjoyed watching you uh, throughout this season, and I hope before the season's out we get another opportunity uh, to chat with you. Uh, a lot of season finales coming up there with Toledo and uh, Phoenix, the two of the races you mentioned you're going to be at. Uh, so hopefully we'll get another chance to talk to you before it's all said and done. And uh, we sure hope you are coming back next season. And uh, we'll wait to hear that news as well. I might be at the bull ring, so if I get a chance, I'll, I'll look you up. Absolutely. Well, hey, I mean, I would love to come back on whenever. Just let us know, and, and I'm, I'd love to do this. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys and, and share our story. So whenever we get that opportunity and, and talk about race weekends, I mean, I'm all for it. So I just can't thank you guys enough for allowing me to have an outlet and, and speak about uh, everything we're doing in the race car and living a dream, honestly. That's, that's what it comes down to, so. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you uh, bringing up keynotes, like people that help us out, um, like Chris and everything. It's it's uh, very cool, everything you guys do. Well, thank you. We we really enjoy chatting with you, Christian. And uh, like I said, we'll look forward to the next time. Now, folks can follow you on Twitter and Facebook. Is there, yeah, Twitter, there other Facebook places? And, yeah, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Twitter is D Rose Racing, at D Rose Racing. Instagram is Christian Rose Racing and the same or is Christian Rose, um, and then the same for Facebook is Christian Rose Racing. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Chris. We'll look forward to the next time. Absolutely, thank you guys so much. Have a great night. Okay, good night. All right, that is Christian Rose again. He's the driver of the number forty-two Cook Racing Technologies Chevrolet, and. Uh, and uh, he just had a great finish this last week at Kansas, finishing seventh. He went into the weekend saying he felt he could get that top ten finish, and he went out there and did it. I thought that was fantastic. I know we've had him on a couple of times uh, throughout the year. It's great to see when they do get that next step, first top ten. And he mentioned uh, as they pr- progress and build to be able to follow along with that and have him on when they hit them high points. Um, the enthusiasm he brings. I love mm-hmm. the partnership. We talked about that with uh, the West Virginia tourism. Um, I love to see that and what he's doing for them um, in return for the sponsorship. I mean, that, that's unbelievable. Yeah. It is. It really is. Okay, we're going to have to move on now because we've got the uh, uh, truck race at at uh, Kansas, that was an elimination race. It was the inaugural Kansas Lottery 200. The race winner was John Hunter Nemechek at the age of 25, driving the number four Mobile One Toyota for team owner Kyle Busch, and his crew chief was Eric Phillips. It was his 13th victory in 143 Camping World Truck Series races, his second victory and 14th top 10 finish this year, and his first victory and fifth top 10 finish in six races at Kansas. Carson Hosevar finished second, posting his first top 10 finish in three races at Kansas and his 11th top 10 finish this season. Ryan Priest finished third, posting his first top 10 finish in one race at Kansas. Corey Heim, who won the Arca race, finished seventh. He was the highest finishing 
rookie of the race. Um, now, this race was, uh, like I mentioned, uh, an elimination race. And although it looked like Carson Holsevar had that long shot bid in order to win, John Hinter Nemechek spoiled that. Uh, with less than a lap left in Friday night's Kansas Lottery 200 at Kansas, John Hunter Nemechek passed Kosen Harsavar and spoiled one of the unlikeliest long-shot gambles in the long history of the Camping World Truck Series. With this less than a lap, lap left at Kansas, John Hunter passed Carson Hosevar, uh and uh, was able to end up winning that race. He made the last lap pass and won the Lottery 200 uh, at Kansas for his first win at Kansas and second of the season and the 13th of his career. Nemechek made the pass over the number 42 of Corson Hosevar, who appeared to be on his way to his first career win after a pit strategy call put him in the lead on lap 106 of 134 of the 134-lap race. After falling short of the win, Hosevar, along with past champion Matt Crafton, failed to advance to the round of eight playoffs. That was a heartbreak because he put his heart and soul into that race, uh, Jay. Ryan Priest finished third, followed by Zane Smith, Grant Infinger, Chandler Smith, Corey Heim, Ty Majeski, Colby Howard, and Christian Eckie were the remainder of the top ten finishers. The round of eight playoff drivers include John Hunter Nemechek, uh, Zane Smith, Grant Infinger, Sammy, no, is that Sammy Smith? No, Chandler Smith. Okay. Um, Ty Majeski, Christian Eckes, and the reigning champion, Ben Rhodes, who finished 13th, and then Stuart Friesen, who finished in 20th. Nemechek won the pole, and both of the opening stages in route to his first race, in route to his race win, he led a total of 88 laps. There were also 11 lead changes among six drivers and four cautions for 25 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 118.023 miles per hour. Your thoughts about those race results in the top 10 and the playoff drivers? Well, first thing I'm going to look at is the top 10, uh, not just the winner of John Hunter Nemechek, but look at the top 10. As you mentioned, it was a playoff cutoff race. Seven of the top 10 drivers were those playoff drivers. It is tough to gain points on somebody when you're that close. Now, the way to avoid that is get that win. And Carson Hosevar, you mentioned it ever so close, not the first time this year, but this one really, really important. I can't even imagine the kind of heartbreak you mentioned that he had. Uh, I thought he handled himself well post-race. It was Mm -hmm. tough, you know, that disappointment. But he is one of those we're looking at week in and week out. When is that win coming? Uh, Unfortunately, it's not going to move him on in the playoffs if he were to get it now the rest of the season. But I think we could still see him then as a spoiler, if you will, um, in one of these upcoming races at the end of the year. Yeah, real quick, I want to mention in his post-race interviews, he said, I think I'm going to be a bridesmaid at my own wedding. (laughs) He's he's finished second so many times, it's unbelievable. 
Yeah, but the, the the good thing from that, the takeaway is, you know, if you're second and second and second, that win's coming. You you, you know exactly. that. So, uh, yep. That's the good thing from it. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek, I know that in his uh, post-race, uh, uh, might have been pre-race actually, talking about his season from last year to this year. Last year, I think he had five wins by this point, was kind of the uh, heavy favorite going into the championship, said they didn't win it. So he's not real concerned that we haven't seen him win as much throughout the year. Win when it counts, and this certainly was one where you definitely win. He felt okay in points going in, but that secures it, gives him some more bonus points as we look uh, coming up. We'll look at the reseeding with uh, points. So still very confident, and the Zane Smith, uh, the regular season champion, finishing fourth, Grant Enfinger, got the first win of the playoffs to move himself on. Um, and then I say you got Chandler Smith, Ty Majeski, and Christian Eckes all in the top ten where they need to be. And we did eliminate two, and I know I think, Sharon, you had put it up for hot topics. Matt Crafton is a regular uh, perennial championship contender, has been eliminated. Um, he is one that uh, I don't even know if I can repeat his words, but – <laughs> kind of, I think back to Tony Stewart. We don't, we don't deserve to be here. We got in, but we didn't deserve to be here. Um, they have not been the strongest this year, and he was aware of that, and he said they were lucky to get into the playoffs. So we'll see how they rebound, especially after such a finish here at Kansas uh, back in the, what, 15th position. Big surprise, though, for Stuart Friesen finishing 20th. Uh, I did not expect that, especially at a track like like uh, Kansas. Uh, and then Ben Rhodes finishing 13th. Those are the drivers that finished outside of the top 10 uh, that uh, were a little bit surprising. Well, and there again, it goes to the competition. I mean, you got to be on top of your game. And we got other drivers that may not be in the playoffs. You mentioned rookie Corey Heim in the KBM JBL Toyota mm-hmm. uh, got another good finish. Uh, Ryan Priest, uh, when he steps into that number 17 for DGR, and he got a third-place finish. We've seen what he can do when he gets into a truck in spot rides. So the competition is really tough, uh, and, and I think that's where Matt Crafton kind of falls in. The other one I want to shout out there, Matt Benedetto. Uh, I know they've kind of tailed off. Uh, they started this season really strong. I really thought he was going to get a win and be one locked into the championship but they're still right there, 12th place, top 10 team. Um, could be a spoiler throughout the year. I think we got to look at it as a contender for next year already. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, I want to get to the points, too, before we run out of time. So let's uh, real quick cover that. All right. As we slide over there, mentioned it was the cutoff race, so there, there's a reseeding, if you will. Oh, it should have been loaded. Oh, come on. There we go. Um, So the reset of the points, the eight drivers that have moved on reset at 3,000. Why does it have nine? Matt Crafton and somebody else was eliminated. Who else was eliminated? Carson Hosevar. He missed it by three Oh, yeah, in ninth and tenth. There we go. Okay, so with with the reset, uh, they get 3,000 points and add in their playoff points. Zane Smith, your regular season champion, goes back to the top of the leaderboard at 3,037 points. 
Chandler Smith second at 3,028 is nine back. John Hunter Nemechek mentioned that win puts five more points in his playoff bucket, so he started with 24, 3,024. Ben Rhodes, 3,017. Stuart Friesen at 3,013. Then you got Ty Majeski, Grant Infinger, and Christian Eckes, your final three. They're at 3,008, 3,007 for Enfinger and Eckes. Uh, the two tied, Enfinger. Actually, here we go down to four drivers, don't we? This next round, mm-hmm. we cut down to four. Right. The, the next, um, uh, let me pull up the schedule here. The next elimination race for them. Uh, let me just pull that up real quick. The schedule, truck series. Okay. Now, for the truck series, they just had the elimination race at Kansas. The playoff round of eight. Uh, will be three races. That's Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. And October 1st, it will be at Talladega. Their elimination race will be October the 22nd at Homestead, Miami. Uh, and that will be the last race before the season finale for the championship where four drivers will compete for that championship on November 4th at Phoenix Raceway. So, so there we go. Ben Rhodes right now in the four spot would be the cutoff line at 3,017. He's got four points over Stuart Friesen. Then you got Ty Majeski at 3,008, Grant Enfinger and Eckes, uh, Christian Eckes at 3,007. They're only a point apart. And go think back to this race. If they're only one, two positions apart in the top ten, gaining points, stage points throughout the race, and that victory. I mean, the victory is everything. You get the victory, you are moving on. So we'll see how this plays out over those three races. Caleb Dega, right in the middle of that, being such a wild card. Yes, it is. And I'll tell you what, it, it, you're right. Every single point counts. Ask Carson Hosevar. Uh, I'm sure he's looking back at the season uh, on where he could have found three more points. Uh, to get him into the playoffs this season. Uh, he missed it by just three points. Matt Crafton by just ten. And I'm sure Matt's doing the same thing. Um, so these guys are going to be looking for every single point they can get, and that's why it's so intense in these playoff races. Okay, we're going to move on now to the Xfinity Series. Um, the Xfinity Series race, was the 22nd annual Kansas Lottery 300, uh, and the race winner was Noah Gregson at the age of 24, driving the number nine Bass Pro Shops True Timber BRCC Chevrolet for Rick Hendrick Motorsports uh, with Luke Lambert on top of the pit box. Uh, It was his 10th victory and 127th Xfinity Series starts. It was his 5th victory and 18th top 10 finish this season uh, also his first victory and first top 10 finish in five races at kansas speedway justin algauer finished second posting his 10th top 10 finish in 13 races at kansas and it was his 17th top 10 finish this year ty gibbs in third posting his second top 10 finish in two races at kansas and sheldon creed who finished 11th was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Now, for the Xfinity Series, their next race, of course, is at Bristol Motor Speedway, uh, but we're talking about the race 
where Noah Gregson beats the rain in the Xfinity Series race at Kansas in what is turning out to be a banner season for Noah Gregson, the driver of that number nine junior motorsport Chevrolet, scored his fifth Xfinity Series victory of the year in Saturday's rain-shortened Kansas Lottery 300 at Kansas. Now, following the conclusion of the second stage in Saturday's uh, race, Mother Nature put a stop to the Xfinity Series race that Noah Gregson was out front at the time, awarding him his win. And as we mentioned, the fifth of the season, Justin Algauer, we mentioned, finished second, giving Junior Motorsports the top two spots. Ty Gibbs led a race-high 66 laps and finished third. The pole sitter, Brandon Jones, placed fourth, with Ross Chastain rounding out the top five. Then it was A.J. Allmendinger in sixth, Sam Mayer, Sammy Smith, Sam, wait a second. <laughs> They've got Sam yep, Mayer. Sammy Smith, then sponsors. Sam Mayer. Huh? Yeah, they've got him in here okay, twice. Get... Brett Moffitt made up the rest of the top ten. So I don't know how Sam Mayer finished in two spots here. But Gibbs won the opening stage, his fifth stage of the victory, uh, stage victory of the season. Gregson won the second stage and now has 13 stage wins on the season. There were six lead changes among four drivers, four cautions for 18 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 113.687 miles per hour. Let me go back to these race results and give you, I don't think they're going to show me Sam Mayer in two spots. It was um, six, It was A.J. Allmendinger, Josh Berry, Sam, Sammy Smith, Sam Mayer, and Brett Moffat. I don't know why they listed uh, <laughs> Sam Mayer twice, but Josh Berry finished in seventh. <clears throat> Your thoughts, Jay? Well, we had a lot of action there, and you hit the nail on the head. At that point, they knew the weather was in the area really, really close. They were racing the rain, which means they raced each other really hard. Uh, I listened to this one on Sirius XM radio on the road. I know Ty Gibbs, and I can't remember who it was he tangled with there at the end. He made some apologies. Justin Algauer. Um, there we go with Justin Allgaier. Um He he made sure to apologize there. Um, got a little over aggressive, and you can't say you blame him. I mean, they knew it was going to uh, oh, he end just at took any point. a right point. turn right into him, or a left turn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, uh, like I said, I didn't get to see that one yet. Um, I just, I do know that, that Ty said he, he made a, a big mistake. They're a huge mistake. Um, fortunately, didn't cost either one of them um, points as far as position, but possibly the win. And I know there's the argument, Noah Gregson maybe wouldn't have won that race. Uh, you know, that's that's part of it. And they all knew they all had to play the same strategy there in, the, in those final laps final pit stops, final strategy. So uh, congratulations to him. When we look at the points, we'll talk about that. So many different drivers, they got different agendas. A.J. Allmendinger looking to, he's all but secured, I think, the uh, regular season championship. That gives him extra bonus points. You mentioned uh, rookie Sheldon Creed. He's trying to get in in that final uh, spot. Uh, We'll look at that. Um, His teammate Austin Hill right behind him. And Ryan, yeah, Steve, that's was, who he's battling. 
this is 14. kind of the penultimate race for the regular season finale. Uh, they end their season at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend, Jay. So that's why these and, guys and are that's one racing hard. And there's going to be a couple of battles there, and it's going to be one of those because a bad finish or a DNF could really change your season um, if you're in that latter part, Sheldon Creed and Ryan Sieg. Um, and so those two are going to have that going on. Like I said, A.J. Albendinger, he's going to be looking to uh, to lock up that regular season championship, give himself some added bonus points. These other drivers, like Noah Gregson, picks up that another victory and stage win. That just adds to their playoff points. He added six playoff yeah. points. So after that race, they take the uh, locked-in drivers and reseed them and give points based on that. That's a huge factor setting them up for the uh, championship run. Yeah, and don't forget the five wins that he has on the season. That's huge. Trying to think okay. in your, uh some other storylines to look at. Uh, another good run there by Big Machine Racing. They had Ross Chastain in the car, got a top five. Uh, we've seen that throughout the year. They've rotated different drivers. I think that team is on a really good track. Um, don't know if they've announced yet for a full-time driver for next year, but to see that team run with one driver for the championship, I think would be really interesting. Yes, indeed. We'll have to wait for that news. A uh, few drivers finished a lap down. Mason Massey, Garrett Smithley, Ryan Vargas, C.J. McLaughlin, uh, Bailey Curley, two laps down. Jesse Awuji, three laps down. Uh, now, Brennan Poole had a transmission issue that took him out of the race early. And Jeb Burton had an engine issue very early in the race, lap 51, uh, that took him out of the race, so that was too bad. Uh, it did end under caution with the uh, rain uh, that came on the track, but, uh, yeah, this was uh, quite a race. Another one, when, when you look back through the field there like that, um, the, a couple I wanted to mention, uh, Raja Karuth got another one of the Xfinity starts with the number 45 team, finished 25th. Um, completing laps, I know, uh, and then mentioned Sammy Smith, uh, wherever he finished there, uh, a spot is what I have him in the uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. Had quite a few starts now that he's 18 and can run all the tracks. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see him in the Arkham Menard series or come directly into the Xfinity series. We'll tie that into hot topics here with some hot <laughs> topic, uh, big hot topic we're going to have coming. A lot of moving pieces there that. As, yes, as you like to say, once one domino falls, there's going to be some others to follow. And there's some big dominoes falling this week. Um, okay, now race 25 of 33. What are the standings after Kansas for the Xfinity Series, Jay? A.J. Allmendinger is your points leader. He's got 1,003 points. Ty Gibbs is at 965, which puts him 38 points back. And I believe 60 points is the uh, points that can be earned, um, max points that can be earned in one race. So like I said, AJ's got it all but wrapped up. Um, I can't say For it's the a regular 100%. Percent, but, right. Um, comparing that, though, look at AJ Albanegger has three wins, two stage wins, 17 playoff points. He will get 15 more um, 
if he wins the regular season championship, which would put him at 32, Ty Gibbs, five race wins, five stage wins, already has 30 points. Noah Gregson, sitting fourth in points, but has the five wins and 13 stage wins, has 38 points. So once they do the reset, Noah Gregson, right as it stands right now, um, barring what happens this weekend, it would be Noah Gregson with the point lead, followed by Ty Gibbs, and then your regular season champion, A.J. Albedinger, eh, it depends, uh-huh. either starting second or third. Um, so he needs those points to, to catch back up with you, if you will, when they do the reset. Yeah, the he would there, be uh, in uh, third, and Albedinger would be in fourth. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a, that's a huge difference, and that's why it's so important, you know, Noah Gregson putting himself in that position. He, he's already locked in. It's picking up those extra points. That's a huge, huge factor. Uh, third place is Justin Algar. He's got three wins, 22 playoff points built up. Mentioned Noah Gregson. Fifth is Josh Berry. He sits at 16 playoff points. Austin Hill, the rookie, 11 playoff points coming off his two wins and a stage win. Brandon Jones, uh, seventh, has six points. Brand, uh, uh, Sam Mayer there with two points. Riley Herbst doesn't have any. Daniel Hemrick only has two. Landon Castle doesn't have any. And then Ryan Sieg in 12th place. And here's where it gets interesting, uh, at least from a fan perspective. I'm sure uh, Sieg's sweating, doing some sweating and sleepless nights. He's at 578 points right now in the playoffs. Sheldon Creed is at 565, 13 points behind. Stage points throughout the race, and then that finish, uh, we mentioned it earlier, uh, Carson Hosevar needed the win because he came up three points short. You know, Sheldon Creed and Ryan Sieg, that's going to be a pairing. You're going to watch that entire race at Bristol. Yeah, they're going to be racing each other uh, without any doubt uh, to make up those 13 points or to uh, make it bigger. Uh, that difference, but uh, yeah, those are the two to watch out at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. Uh, but just to to go to the reset, we mentioned the top four, five drivers. Noah Gregson would be at the top with his five wins and 38 playoff points. Ty Gibbs, by the way, and this tells you how important the playoff points are. He also has five wins, but 35 playoff points. So that puts him just three points behind Gregson. Uh, Justin Augauer has the three wins and 22 playoff points. Uh, Same thing between him and A.J. Allmendinger. A.J. Allmendinger has three wins, but he has only 17 playoff points. So that makes the difference between third and fourth. Uh, Josh Berry, two wins with 16 playoffs, just one point behind A.J. Allmendinger. Justin, I'm sorry, Austin Hill with two wins and 11 playoff points. Uh, going to one win, Brandon Jones uh, takes the top, takes the seventh spot with six playoff points and one win. Sam Mayer has uh, has uh, no wins, 678 points and two playoff points. Riley Earps at 273 points, just five points difference. They both have two playoff points. Then it goes to uh, Daniel Hemrick uh, at 615 points, Landon Castle at 597, and Ryan Sieg at 578. So, and you've already brought up how close it is 
between him and Sheldon Creed in that 13th spot below the cut line uh, with Ryan Seek 13 points up and Sheldon Creed 13 points back. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, this is the final race of their regular season, and we'll know at the end of this race who are the 12 drivers that will go into the playoffs in the Xfinity Series. Well, and the other thing we talked about, and we talked with Christian Rose about this, uh, you know, his first time at the track, Bristol is a tough track. It can be a track of survival depending on how it goes. We could be talking about Brandon Brown, Anthony Alfredo, um, Moffitt's not eligible, Myatt Schneider, Jeb Burton, Jeremy Clements. Those drivers, if they were to get a win, could still jump up into this playoff and push both Ryan Sieg and Sheldon Creed out. Yes. Uh, so especially if one of those drivers, if they get a win, uh, if they're going to bounce somebody else out. So it, there's a lot to watch for. And Bristol is one of those tracks where anything and everything can happen, just like at a super speedway. So uh, it's going to make it interesting. And just to, just to make sure we get them all there, uh, Bailey Curry also has 25 starts. He's right now 21st in points. He would have to get into the top 20 in points and get the victory um, for him in order for his victory to to count and move him on. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead. Uh, definitely uh, a race to look forward to, just like the Truck Series race this weekend at Bristol. That race will be on Friday night at Bristol Motor Speedway. So uh, definitely look forward to watching those. Okay, now Kansas Speedway was also the site of the 22nd Annual Hollywood Casino 400 with race winner Bubba Wallace at the age of 28 racing the number 45 Root Insurance Toyota for team owner Michael Jordan. That's 23-11 racing and his crew chief, Booty Barker. Okay, it was his second victory in 176 Cup Series starts, his first victory in eighth top this year, and his first victory in second top ten finish in ten races at Kansas Speedway. Team owner Denny Hamlin finished second, posting his 12th top ten finish in 29 races at Kansas, and it was his ninth top ten finish this season. Christopher Bell, he finished third, posting his fourth top ten finish in six races at Kansas. And Austin Sendrick, who finished 12th, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. Uh, Driving the same car number that carried teammate Kurt Busch to victory in the May race at Kansas, Bubba Wallace claimed a dramatic win at the same track this Sunday in the Hollywood Casino 400. It was the second event in the first round of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, and Wallace regained the lead on lap 225 after the final cycle of green flag pit stops at the 1.5-mile track. He stayed out front for the final 43 circuits as his car owner, Denny Hamlin, chased him down to no avail. He did come to within a second uh, to close that gap. Uh, Bubba Wallace won again at Kansas Speedway, the first win of the year, the first at Kansas, and, and his second career win. Hamlin in second, Bell in third, then it was Alex Bowman, Martin Truex Jr., 
William Byron, Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, Brian Blaney, and Daniel Suarez to round out the top ten. Wallace took the lead from Bowman with 67 laps remaining. He retook the lead following the final green flag pit stop and held off a late charge by Hamlin and Bell to grab the win. His victory locks the number 45 team into the round of 12 for the owner's championship playoffs. Playoff drivers having problems on the day include Harvick, He got into the outside wall on lap 33 and broke the suspension on the car. He could not continue. He finished 36th. On lap 66, the pole winner, Tyler Reddick, blew a tire and hit the outside wall. The team could not repair the car, and he finished in 35th. Kyle Busch spun off turn four on lap 138 and spun through the grass. He lost a lap and got it back, but fell off the lead lap again later in the race. He ended up finishing 26. Stage one was won by Christopher Bell. Stage two by Alex Bowman. There were 16 lead changes among 12 drivers, nine cautions, and 43 yellow flag laps. Uh, so your thoughts about the race results here, Jay? Well, and there are thoughts all the way throughout the field uh, <laughs> as things are shaking up here coming into this final cutoff round. I know a couple of them we got up on Hot Topics. Uh, Bubba Wallace getting the win. Uh, right there alone, there is so many storylines within that. Kurt Busch out of the car um, with the still wait, uh, battling the concussion symptoms and not medically cleared. They swap over, put Bubba Wallace in that car to run for the owner's championship you mentioned. And this does move that team on to the owner's championship into the round of 12. So that's huge. Then you got team owner and yet driver for another team. And I put that one up for hot topics. Denny Hamlin right behind him. He's looking for his own championship as a driver, the playoff points and everything else. And we saw it. He was running them down in those final laps. Some great racing there at Kansas, especially in the final laps. Not sure what the changeover was. Toyota's come on strong there at the end. The other one that, that had a shot was a third Toyota of Christopher Bell. I mean, he was right up there mixing it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Mark, he was going to win Martin it. Truix. Uh, yeah, you, you couldn't have picked between those three. I really, that was a tough call. Um, it looked there for a while, a strong run. What is it, 107 laps led? Alex Bowman was in it, um, faded mm-hmm. a little bit there at the end. And then a good top five run for Martin Truix. And we've heard his statement. He didn't make the playoffs. He's going out to win races um, just to make a point. So, mm-hmm. But then, unfortunately, we got to look down at the other end. You, you mentioned uh, Kevin Harvick. This puts him in, an, I believe, an absolute must-win situation at Bristol. You had Tyler Reddick, who's been really hot and uh, strong as of late. Kind of a hiccup there for the number eight machine. The other thing I look at, second and uh this goes to the, the next-gen car and the desire of it. So far, I know Bubba Wallace running for the owner's championship in that race-winning car of 45, but the first two rounds or first two races of the playoffs have been won by non-playoff drivers. <laughs> Eric Jones That's picking amazing. up the win at Darlington and Bubba Wallace here. Uh, like I said, his is a little bit different scenario as he was in a car that was eligible, just not the driver. 
But still, two non-playoff drivers winning the first two races, uh, that's unbelievable. It is. And 18 different winners on the season. That was that was the other factor. You're right. I forgot. I forgot that we have picked up our 18th different winner on the season. So we were watching that throughout the year of how many winners, whether it would be a full field of 16 winners and nobody get in on points. Um, we were really close to that, and, and we could still see that throughout the rest of the season if this trend continues. Well, and the fact that we've seen so many different winners this year, and so late into the season, we're still seeing it. It makes me wonder if we're going to see the same thing next year, uh, the second year of the next-gen car. It's going to be interesting. Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't want to get too far into a hot topic. I think that might be one of those cases where the, the veteran, the cream rises to the top. The veterans, we've seen it. Kevin Harvick's team figured it out this year. They're getting um, better. I think next year, yeah, I, I, we're going to see the cream rise to the top, so we may not see it as spread out as we have this year, but never know. You never know. Uh, first two races of the playoffs have uh, non-playoff drivers winning, and I fully expect that Martin Truex will be one of those drivers uh, before it's all said and done, one if not two or three. He's certainly been in contention, and you look there, uh, speaking of that, going back through 6 through 10, William Byron, Ross Chastain, Kyle Larson, I kind of expected a little more out of him, still a solid day, but not a championship-winning uh, performance. Chase Elliott, another one, j- finished just outside the uh, the top 10 in 11th, so kind of a mixture there. I think all the playoff drivers, with the exception of, oh no, Kyle Busch is in the middle, and Joey Logano. Uh, I don't care to discuss Joey Logano. That was my race pick. He faded more, more than faded there at the end. I, I didn't realize he had dropped that far back. Well, let's put it this way. Of the 14 drivers, top 14 drivers, there was only one uh, non-playoff driver in that group. So 13 of the playoff drivers finished in that top 14. And, and that was Martin Truex you mentioned, and he only missed the – playoffs by a couple of points you mentioned points. it uh earlier yeah earlier with uh carson host of our truex said the same thing you know in that final race you can't put it on one or two positions on the track because you had 24 25 races uh prior to that to pick up those three points so um, mm-hmm. he's well aware of that <laughs> yes indeed okay any other thoughts there no, this uh, this next uh, race and then the reseeding. Uh, I know we'll preview the race on when we do the podcast on Wednesday. Uh, another one, phenomenal spot for this at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, a short track like this, anything can happen. Uh, shuffle this all up one more time. Like I mentioned, Harvick's in a must-win situation. We know he runs yeah. good there, and he runs close to Chase Elliott. That could be interesting for sure. Uh, there's some history well, there. Kyle, uh, Kyle, Kyle Bush. Bush. I'm trying to remember how many how many wins does Kyle have at at Bristol? I know it's up there. Oh, I don't know. It's a bunch of them though. But uh, Kevin Harvick actually went out on lap 33 with his accident. Tyler Reddick on lap uh, 67 with his accident. Other drivers having accidents was Ty Gibbs. He le- he left the race in lap 90. Corey LaJoy. Uh, had an accident leaving on lap 114. And Harrison Burton 
had an accident, uh, taking him out of the race on lap 115. Uh, so, yeah, several drivers uh, out on accidents. Uh, these drivers were out on being a lap or two down. Uh, Brad Keselowski was out. Uh, actually, Brad Keselowski went the full distance. Kyle Busch uh, finished a lap down, as did Cody Ware. Then there was uh, J.J. Yaley. Oh, actually, actually, no, it was 267 laps. There were a lot of drivers finishing a lap down. So Joey Logano, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Ty Dillon, Eric Almarola, Todd Gilliland, Landon Castle, and Brad Keselowski all finished a lap down. Two laps down, it was Kyle Busch and Cody Ware. Three laps would have been J.J. Yaley and Eric Jones. I was kind of surprised about that for Eric Jones. Uh, two laps down, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and B.J. McLeod. And then we mentioned the accidents from Harrison Burton on down. Um, so a lot of people uh, did not finish on that lead lap. There were only, what, 16 cars on the lead lap at the end of this race. Yeah, and that's where I know that last cycle of pit stops, uh, which did play into Bubba Wallace's advantage, um, Denny Hamlin and Christopher Bell trying to run him down, but that's where Joey Logano, uh, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley kind of got caught, and that's why I said I didn't realize he had fallen that far back because he never was able to get his lap back. I, and thinking back on watching that now, I remember when he was trying to make sure he stayed um, on the lead lap or the first car for the uh, free pass, but a caution never came out. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points report here, Jay. This is the All right. well, second race of the round, right? Yep. Um, so right now, uh, at the top, and not that it makes a huge difference, but right now, Christopher Bell is your points leader after the reset from race, uh, the start of the playoffs through these first two races, sitting at 2,108. Got a 10-point lead over William Byron, 11 over Denny Hamlin as your top three, then 18 back to Joey Logano, 22 for Ryan Blaney, and that's your top five. Now, for Blaney, it's important because he got in on points, um, but with the finishes that certain drivers have had, um, shuffled that up. We haven't had a race winner lock in and move on, so right now I'm going to drop down to the four cut position, uh, cutoff drivers that would uh, be knocked out. So 12th spot, which is where the cut line would be, is Austin Sindrick and Tyler Reddick. I didn't realize that. I didn't see that when they uh, covered this the other day. Tyler Reddick and Austin Sindrick in 11th and 12th at 2,052 points. Tied, Kyle Busch is three points. And I think this, this is different when they showed, because this is only showing, showing two points to Kyle Busch. Um, but it's really close, two or three points. Kyle Busch on the outside looking in. And then you have Austin Dillon is only another point behind. Chase Briscoe at 20-43, still within range, nine points. But, again, tough to make up when you're running all these playoff drivers in the top ten. Kevin Harvick, 2017, a uh, huge deficit, again, in a must-win situation. When we look over to the, the chart I'm looking at, Talking about playoff points again, after this race, they'll reseed. 
Chase Elliott built up 40 playoff points through uh, the regular season, including winning the regular season championship. Right now in seventh spot, he would go back to the top. Joey Logano is 25, it looks like would be second. Ross Jastain third with 20. And this is barring who wins it at Bristol. It could change. But those three, <laughs> Chastain, or Chase Elliott from seventh back up to first, Chastain from ninth back to third, and then Joey Logano from fourth to up to third, if they were to, as they sit right now. So that'll be interesting as to, again, these guys are going to be racing for stage points, the win to pick up an additional five. The uh, locking in isn't as important for most of these top drivers. I won't say none of them, but most of them in pretty secure points position until you get down to, and I look at that. Cyril Daniel Suarez, the other one in there, I mentioned the uh, cut line at 52. Daniel Suarez is only at 20.56, so he's only four points above that uh, conglomeration of battles there. Um, so those five drivers, Austin Dillon, oh, Kyle Busch, Austin Sindrick, Tyler Reddick, and Daniel Suarez, without the, without a win, those five are going to be the ones that are watching that uh, points battle and cut line. Because Bristol is an elimination race. Now, we should mention also the top five cars that are racing for that ownership title. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing's number 20 is at the top of the list at 21.08 points. Then it's Henry Motorsports number 24 at 20.98. Joe Gibbs Racing's number 11 at 20.97. That's interesting. And then Team Penske's number 22 at 20.90. And just one point behind Team Penske's number 22 is 23XI Racing's number 45 at 20.89. So that's pretty close. Uh, Only 19 points uh, between the first and fifth uh, car in this owner's title. And I, I know we, uh, Mike and I, Mike wasn't as familiar with that. We could possibly see the split championship. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen it at the cup level. Um, there's only been a couple of times even in the playoffs that we've had this situation we have this year. And I know we're getting ready to roll into hot topics. Mike should be here shortly mm-hmm. if he's not. Um, so it, it is possible this year. Uh, whether it happens or not, we'll have to see. The uh, the win by Bubba Wallace did lock him into this next round, so it could happen again. It certainly could. All things for us to watch for and at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. Remember, it all starts Thursday night with the Arkham Menard Series and the Truck Series. Friday night is the Xfinity Series, and Saturday night is the Cup Series race. So uh, a lot on the line this weekend at Bristol. Uh, it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and joining us uh, for the conversation here tonight is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, good to talk to you. Okay. Uh, Mike, we're all good to go for Wednesday for the 4 o'clock time frame. Or I shouldn't have said that. I didn't want to say the time, but we're all good to go, as indicated earlier. Okay, sure. Uh, if, if anything changes, I should be available all day on Wednesday. So if anything changes, just give me a call or, or should, I guess shoot me a, a message and uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. Okay, sounds good. Okay, Mike, why don't you uh, bring up our first hot topic here for tonight? 
Well, do we want to continue beating the horse? I think we do because there's a big announcement <laughs> coming tomorrow to, it sounds like, confirm a lot of things that we've been talking about a while regarding uh, Kyle Bush, his future plans. But the big question is what's going to happen with KBM? And they have an announcement as well for tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So expect news from KBM. Now, wait a minute. Is KBM has a conference? Because Kyle Bush is the only one that I know of that scheduled a conference. Uh, I'll have to double-check the tweet, but I believe I saw KBM also said they have an announcement. I'm not sure if it's aligned with the Kyle Bush announcement and it's all going to be one press conference or if KBM is going to be doing a separate thing. But yeah, uh, while you guys are, from... are talking about it, I'll, I'll, I'll find the tweet. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, info that I got in the email. It came from Kyle Bush Motors, uh, but it's got Kyle Bush's signature on here. Uh, it says, who is a two-time Cup Series champion, Kyle Bush? Um, so, yeah, I know it came from Kyle Bush Motorsports. I don't know if it's a Kyle Bush Motorsports uh, announcement. Or, or is included with this or not, but it's possible since it did come from Kyle Busch Motorsports. So no need to look it up. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So uh, I guess uh, well, we can chew on that one for a couple rounds. How's that? Okay, yeah. Um, Kyle Busch uh, having an, a uh, press conference for tomorrow. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, and that's what it does tie into. Uh, we've, we've been hearing, uh, seeing more and more smoke and uh, getting to be a little bit of fire with this RCR deal. Um, over the past week, uh, all of a sudden, a lot of people were going, saying no comment. Um, mentioned it seemed like Kyle Busch, the, the comfortability level during his interviews felt a lot more comfortable, that something was fairly secure. It just wasn't ready to be announced. Um, so with that, as Mike pointed out, though, I think there are some things, and they may not all be uh, divulged tomorrow, but I, I heard him even during the truck race uh, this past weekend talking about it. It could have huge implications on the truck series with KBM Motorsports. They've been a championship-winning team um, as far as the owner, uh, owner championship with Kyle Busch driving some of the races and then the regular full-time drivers of John Hunter Nemechek and Corey Haim, I think, was supposed to go full-time next year. So it's going to be interesting what comes along with that. Uh, is it even possible for him to drive for Chevrolet at the cup level and Toyota, keep Toyota in the trucks? I don't know. I know they don't particularly favor that, but I don't know that Chevy is willing to invest in the truck series like Toyota has. So... I know that was one of the things that weighed heavily on Kyle as he was making his decision. Uh, I'm still a little shocked, I guess, by the decision. I'm one that from the beginning said he was still going to sign with Joe Gibbs Racing one way or another. Next possibility was moving to another Toyota team. Uh, I know right now it's only 2311, and there was some discussion amongst that. Um, we brought up and talked about possibly ownership when it came to uh, partnering with College Racing. So we'll have to see what the final details of this decision are, but it does seem to be a lock. 
And then that opens the door of where does Tyler Reddick go? Does he drive the number three of Earnhardt? Which I highly doubt, but I highly doubted he'd be with RCR. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, this whole thing is kind of interesting. Another uh, uh, point that's interesting here is that uh, he really doesn't have sponsorship. Are completely lined up, which was part of the issue at Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, according to Adam Stern, RCR sponsors have indicated that they're open to working with Kyle Busch, and the team is also out seeking new brands. A couple of RCR partners encourage the team to sign him, while others are taking a wait-and-see approach. So it sounds like he's still uh, vacant uh, some sponsorship for next season, which I find very interesting. Uh, could be the reason that they've waited so long uh, to make the announcement, but it sounds like they're working on it. Uh, again, this is not officially announced yet. The the uh, press conference is set for tomorrow morning, uh, so I'm sure we'll have more to say on this on Wednesday during the podcast. Uh, but from everything that I've seen, uh, it sounds like Austin Dillon is going to be in that number three. Kyle Bush would be in the number eight, which, as you said, leads everyone to ask the question, if Kyle Bush is going to be in the number eight, where's Tyler Reddick uh, going to be racing? So um, that's uh, very interesting. Uh, and, and like Jay and I have been saying, uh, when one domino falls, there's a bunch of other dominoes that usually fall afterward. So I'm sure that will be part of the news. I I don't think I've seen a press conference for uh, RCR set up yet, uh, but it's just so hard uh, to know where all these uh, dominoes are going to end up falling. Uh, I suspect a third car for Richard Childress Racing uh, with either the 30, well, we've already got a 31. I'm not sure what the number would be, uh, but I suspect there's going to be a at RCR with all of this news. Um, but I, I just think the oddest thing about all of this is they don't have complete sponsorship yet, uh, according to the sources that we've seen uh, swirling around everything that's been said about this. Uh, and, keep again, keep in mind, nothing is official yet until tomorrow morning. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, if you, I would say the Kyle Busch to RCR thing is pretty much an official done deal. When you've got guys like Bob Pockris and Jordan yeah. Bianchi <laughs> reporting it, that's not quite an official announcement. It's not an official press conference, but they're not the kind of guys to uh, traffic in unsubstantiated right. rumors. And, oh, by the way, uh, RCR has updated their Twitter profile uh, as of very recently and kind of their, their catchphrase handle or whatever is home of 16-time NASCAR champions. And, well, Richard Childress Racing only has 14 on the books right now. We know Kyle Busch is sitting on two trophies. So I'm not great at doing math, but it's fortunate I'm not wearing shoes right now. So if I add two to 14, well, that sounds like Kyle Busch is bringing his two championships to Richard Childress Racing. Um, so I would say a done deal for Kyle Busch to RCR. The bigger questions, like we said, what happens to Tyler Reddick? Uh, I really see probably three, maybe four outcomes for that. They could stand up a third Richard Childress Racing Cup team for him, and he could run that uh, whatever that third Cup team is. I don't know if the resources are there to make that happen, though. It's not like Richard Childress Racing is sitting on a stack of cash and – 
and can just afford to, to put another team out there. Oh, by the way, they wouldn't have a charter. Uh, charter would be a tw- another $20 million investment that I doubt RCR would be willing to make because that would almost commit them to being a three-car team for however long they want to be, which is probably a road they don't want to go down. The next option would be, and this is all dependent on, on what Tyler Reddick's contract actually says, which I don't know. Um, obviously, none of us are privy to the, the things that are actually in Reddick's contract that could obligate one party to do something or another. So that's, you know, caveat everything with, with that. The other option, Richard Childress Racing has an Xfinity Series program. They could bump Tyler Reddick back down to the Xfinity Series for a year and have him drive one of their two cars in the Xfinity Series. That way, they're still getting their use out of Tyler Reddick on the contract. They keep him out of Toyota's hands for an additional year and they're still meeting their contractual obligations to Tyler Reddick. I don't know if his contract means he has to be in a cup ride or not. The other thing Richard Childress could do if the contract allows it is basically pay him to stay home, put Tyler Reddick on the couch for a year. That would be probably the worst thing that they could do to Tyler Reddick, but Richard Childress Racing has Tyler Reddick under contract for 2023. Maybe the contract says they have to put him in a cup car, Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they put him in a simulator. Maybe they put him on the, uh, as a backup driver, still under contract, still employed by Richard Childress Racing. Again, it all depends on what the contract says for him. The other option would be they do release Tyler Reddick, and he goes over to, to Toyota. And then the big question there becomes, well, what happened to Kurt Busch? If Kurt Busch is healthy and ready to drive again, Denny Hamlin has said no ifs, ands, or buts. Kurt Busch is back in the number 45 for next year. And – that's not apparently that's not open for discussion or debate. Denny has very clearly said that that 45 is Kurt Busch's car for as long as he's able to drive it. But if Kurt is still hurt, the big question is, does Tyler Reddick go into the 45? Everyone's kind of penciling Ty Gibbs into the 18 car, but that could be another potential landing spot for, Ty, for Tyler Reddick, especially if Kurt Busch is healthy and is able to run the 45 next year. Gerald Gibbs had said previously that he'd like to keep Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity Series for another year. That was before Kurt got hurt and Ty got a bunch of cup starts, so who knows where that plan is right now. But maybe they do keep Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity Series for that extra year. Tyler Reddick goes and races the 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing for a year and then moves over to his contract with 2311 as scheduled in 2024. A lot to pay attention to, and we can talk about KBM probably on the next one through, because I've already been talking for like five minutes here. (laughs) Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, during our uh, race review, I was talking about Sammy Smith and and Ty Gibbs. Mike brings up an interesting uh, scenario there. If, as you mentioned, it's all in contracts, and, and we'll have to see how all the announcement goes, what information we do get, because I don't think we're going to get all questions answered tomorrow. Uh, I really don't. When it comes to KBM and the truck series, um, the maybe not even the car numbers and everything for Richard Childress for next year, but just the basic, it will be Kyle Busch over at RCR, if that is the official announcement. But the, the possibility of Tyler Reddick filling in in the 18 for a one-year deal so they can keep Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity Series as they originally wanted. Um, definitely an interesting thought process. Uh, I know, and I, I don't know when the Kyle Busch deal came together for RCR, initially even after Tyler Reddick had announced his decision to go to, to- Toyota and Team 2311 
after the 2023 season. Although Childress was upset, he did say that he had a contract and Tyler Reddick wouldn't drive for them. He didn't say where. So like Mike said, it uh, could be in the Cup Series. Maybe it is in the Xfinity Series, depending on that contract. The other thing would be as if they may not have the resource for a full third team, but they have a lot of alliances and partners that maybe it is a third team um, supported by Richard Childress. And right now I'm trying to think, I know there isn't really room at Petty GMS, but that's one of the ones RCR is, is, uh, has an alliance with. The other, I believe, is Colleg Racing, and we haven't heard anything from them on full-time uh, driver for next year. Uh, so there again, that's a possibility, and then it just becomes a Richard Childress-supported car. Again, uh, Mike said it. It all depends on what's in that contract and who wants to push what buttons, you, you know, um, if they say oh, our job is to just pay him, you're right. He could be sitting at home. Uh, I don't know who, who's going to hold what kind of grudge. Uh, that's come up a couple times of if there's still something between uh, Richard Childress and Kyle Busch and the hold my watch deal. Uh, who is it? Somebody, somebody uh, this morning on Sirius XM said that would be the way to, way to bring him in during the press conference is to have Kyle Busch come in with a uh, watch to give to Childress and be like, here, this is one you had to drop when you went to punching me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting situation that's developed here with uh, Tyler Reddick. Uh, according to the chart at Jayskis for the 2023 season, uh, it does say that uh, Childress has exercised the option on Reddick, and he will return in 2023. Uh, the question is just where. Um, and you guys bring up a good point about the charter as it relates to a third team. They're, they're so expensive right now, uh, it's hard to say. Uh, but you never know uh, what could happen here. I would say the other option is, as you mentioned, uh, maybe an alliance where they have ECR engines. Um already being used uh and and having uh Tyler Reddick race one of the, the with one of the affiliates but again you're going to run into uh you know somebody's either got to move out of those spots or they've got to pick up a charter in order to make room for Tyler Reddick Tyler Reddick is too good of a driver uh I think to sit on the couch uh for an entire year unless you want to be vindictive I don't think uh, Richard Childress is that kind of person. I don't think he would sit him on the couch. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I just don't see that happening. Um, <clears throat> so I do expect him to be somewhere next year. Uh, the question is wh- where. Uh, in order for him to be at 2311, uh, it, it would have to be a situation where um, – uh, Richard Childress gives up that option uh, to keep him for the 2023 season. So even though it's listed here that he's not given it up, that could all change uh, with an announcement tomorrow. So uh, for a lot of this, we're going to have to wait until the announcement happens and for the other dominoes to fall. Uh, but uh, as far as I know, the the press conference for tomorrow is just with Kyle Busch and Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, so we'll see what happens. What's interesting, though, is everybody's talking about 
where Kyle Busch is going to be. They're not mentioning what's going to happen with Kyle Busch Motors, um, whether he's going to stay under the Toyota umbrella or if he's going to come under the Chevrolet umbrella. And uh, uh, that's all going to be picked up. The other question that was brought up, I think, early in some of these conversations is that Kyle Busch had an interest in being a co-owner. That's why I thought that RCR would be out of the question because I see RCR transitioning over to the Dillon family uh, rather than to Kyle Busch Motorsports. But maybe they've come to some sort of an agreement where it could be uh, RCR and then Dillon and Kyle Busch. Or maybe Kyle Busch is going to retire before that happens, Um, uh, before uh, at the same time that Richard Childress retires or whatever. A lot of scenarios can happen here, but I just think it's interesting that nobody said anything about Kyle Busch Motorsports. So, and I know, Mike, you want to say some things about that as well, Um, but I, I just think there, it, it's going to be interesting to see what we hear tomorrow and what other announcements are forthcoming afterwards. Mike, your follow-up? You're absolutely right. The, the, the KBM piece is probably the most complicated bit of the whole deal. Uh, yeah, Kyle Busch moving is probably the biggest move, a driver move, since Dale Earnhardt Jr. left DEI to go to Hendrick Motorsports in the, in the mid-2000s. This is probably going to be the biggest move since then. Tyler Reddick leaving Richard Childress Racing to potentially go to Toyota, not a huge, huge move. It's not unprecedented, but it's not small either. Tyler Reddick's a pretty good driver. Then again, Kyle Busch and Tyler Reddick, they're just race car drivers. They're just single individual people. KBM is an entire organization of 50-something employees. And, oh, by the way, they are more or less Toyota's development pipeline that starts in the truck series. So now you're talking about an entire manufacturer's development pipeline when you're talking about what's going to happen from here. And I think that's probably been the biggest point of contention in these negotiations with Kyle Busch is what happens with KBM. Kyle has said repeatedly through this process that he's more worried about KBM and the future of that organization than he is himself in his own career as a race car driver. So I'm sure that was a major part of this negotiation, and I'm really looking forward to figuring out how that's going to sort out. Um, You kind of touched on it where we all assumed that whatever manufacturer Kyle Busch ended up driving for, whether he stayed with Toyota, went to Chevrolet, ended up at Stuart Haas in a Ford, that KBM would follow and would become the manufacturer for whatever, uh, whatever manufacturer Kyle Busch was driving for. And there's a lot of historical precedent for that. Most of the time, manufacturers tend to kind of wall off their drivers. Uh, you can drive for a different team if you need to, for example, a lot of the, the drivers driving the number 48 in the Xfinity Series is a Chevrolet. Well, they're all Chevrolet drivers. Ross Chastain, some of the Hendrick Motorsports drivers, Austin Dillon, they've all been in that 48 so far their year of the Xfinity Series, but they've all been Chevrolet drivers. Same thing for the 07 in the Xfinity Series, all Ford drivers. So manufacturers tend to be very possessive about, quote-unquote, their race car drivers. And we assume that that was going to extend to the future of KBM as well, where if Kyle Busch was driving a Chevrolet, for example, KBM would become a Chevrolet team. Well, David Wilson over at TRD has been very vocal about wanting to keep Kyle Busch, but 
knowing that maybe they're, they're going to lose him, maybe that was Toyota's last little thing where they were able to preserve their relationship with KBM and they keep their pipeline. And there's a handshake between Toyota and Chevrolet where Kyle Busch can drive a Chevrolet in the Cup Series and own and potentially drive for a Toyota Truck Series team. I don't know. That's probably the biggest thing that I'm interested in seeing tomorrow, and it's the biggest thing that we don't know and affects the most number of people. Yeah, with all of the leaks that have come out about him going to RCR, there's nothing being said about KBM and any of that. So that's that's really amazing. Okay, Jay, we can go ahead and start another topic. Uh, I'll probably have to interrupt at some point, but well, let's go ahead and start the next topic. All right, well, I want to look at uh, this kind of came up, and, and I didn't see a whole lot to it. Um, but I know there's always those people out there that want to get these kind of things spun up. The Denny Hamlin owning a team that he doesn't drive for. And thus, yesterday, it's today Monday. Yeah, yesterday, make sure I was on the right day, we saw him trying to run down a driver he owns. Um, if there was any... Uh, what to call it sandbagging or because it makes more money as a, as far as that team advancing in the playoffs and the owner's standing versus his own championship aspirations and driving for Joe Gibbs racing. Is there a problem there and does NASCAR need to change it or do something about it? And I think the, uh, was it sportscasting.com is where I pulled up the article from. Oh, you put that up. Okay, good. Uh, uh, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts about this. Well, it's really hard to look at the situation and not think that there there isn't at least some kind of a conflict of interest. And Jay kind of laid it out there. Yes, Denny Hamlin drives for Joe Gibbs Racing. He drives the number 11 car for Joe Gibbs Racing. His job, his day-to-day, nine-to-five job, is to finish the number 11 car as far ahead in the standings as he possibly can. However... Denny Hamlin has a side hustle, and his side hustle job is to prepare the 23 and the 45 car to do as well as they possibly can and have those two cars that he owns finish as well as they possibly can. And it's really hard to reconcile those two differences there. At Daytona, we saw Denny say, uh, coming up to the end of stage two, that he would, quote, give Martin the position. He said that over the radio, and this was in regard to giving Martin Truex an additional position on the track for stage points, knowing that Truex was in a points-critical position to advance and get that last playoff point spot. So that's a recent example where Denny Hamlin is not necessarily always inclined to make sure that the number 11 car that he's driving finishes ahead of every single other competitor every single time in any circumstance. He's got a grasp of the bigger picture, and he's willing to play those big-picture games. What he said after the race yesterday, he said that, oh, I, I, I was trying as hard as I could to catch him. I hit the fence, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you're, if you think I'm going to let you beat me because you're driving my car, you need to get another job. I'm kind of paraphrasing. That's basically what Denny Hamlin said. And if you take it at face value, sure. It, it looked like he was driving pretty hard yesterday, and, and the 45 car was extremely fast at the end of the race. I don't know that anyone could have caught him. But at the same time, it's not like Denny Hamlin lost ground to Christopher Bell by putting it in the fence either. Uh, I don't know that there was any way that he could have caught the 45 of those 10 laps or so he was trying to chase him down. But at the same time, 
it's hard to look at it and say, yeah, he was giving it his best effort to do so. I wasn't in the car, and I certainly wasn't in Danny Hamlin's head, but it does look like there may be a potential conflict of interest there, especially if he's in a position where, you know, the next round, the 45 is about to be eliminated from the owner's championship playoffs. Well, now Denny, does Denny Hamlin yield a position to the 45 to try and advance into the playoffs for that potential owner's championship? I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think it was just a matter of time before it came up. There, There is a precedent. Tony Stewart was kind of in the same situation uh, where he uh, was driving, I think, for his own race team, wasn't it, before uh, while also being the team owner. Uh, so there was a chance for him to be helping people uh, in his race team as well. Um but yeah, this is this is a big question, and it makes me wonder how long NASCAR's going to. I'm sure NASCAR's keeping an eye on it. Um, I, I don't think Denny Hamlin made up a second or more in order to uh, close the gap between him and um, Bubba Wallace. But there might have been other incidents throughout the race that we've kind of all overlooked where maybe he gave him a little bit of an edge. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at the entire race. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's, it leaves itself open to this kind of criticism without any doubt uh, and this kind of uh, uh, thought process. And especially with Bubba Wallace winning yesterday, it, I, I had a feeling – uh, that this was something that was going to come up uh, sooner or later, and it came up a lot sooner than I thought. Um, but, yeah, it, it's – it's. Uh, I'm going to kind of wait before I say anything else. Uh, but, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, did you want to go ahead and do your announcement now before I start? Yeah, let me go ahead and do my announcement now. Uh, right. We do an announcement at this time of the night for our first-time listeners uh, because we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so with that, you're going to hear us continuing to talk and probably going off the air mid-sentence. Uh, just know that we are continuing to record the rest of our conversation, and that's part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So what happens is when we finish our conversation here, I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know when the podcast is available, and at that point you can go to the two-hour mark on our player at famforracing.com, and then you'll hear the rest of the conversation that took place here tonight uh, as part of our Hot Topics uh, conversation. So, again, I didn't want anybody to be let, caught off guard, not knowing what uh, is happening or where they can hear the rest of that conversation. So uh, that's why we do this announcement at this time of the night. And with that, Jay, let's hear your thoughts. When I look back, I think there might be a little bit of inconsistency here from NASCAR's part. And I know there were some rule changes as far as uh, the number of cars you could own. But I look back to Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, DEI, Dale Earnhardt, obviously the owner of that, driving for Richard Childress. Now, when it came to, unfortunately, uh, his last race, 
there was question whether or not Dale Earnhardt was blocking in order to allow two DEI cars, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Michael Waltrip, race out the win. I don't know. I That's one of those, as Mike said, you're not in the car. Um, you can argue it either way. A few years back, Michael Waltrip had retired from driving but was involved in the ownership side. When he did a one-off race, there was some things he had to do in order to drive for another team. But now Denny Hamlin's back in the same position, and I, I don't, I'm not sure how that all works. So um, I think there may be some inconsistencies or something NASCAR does need to address. Now, do I think Denny Hamlin let that the 45 team win? No, I don't, uh, nor do I think Dale Earnhardt did. These guys are drivers. When you're talking about mid-race getting stage points or something to that effect, that's a little different. That happens among teammates all the time. We used to see it back with the whole free pass when you could race back to the, to the flag. You'd let a teammate go. If you got bonus points for leading laps, they'd let a teammate lead a lap for, for one, or two ra- or one or two laps, then take the lead back just so they got those bonus points. That is not just giving them a win um, to that effect uh, when it comes down to the end. We've seen it. Uh, there are certainly drivers. Joy Logano, Brad Keselowski, wrecked at Daytona. Austin Sindrick, Ryan Blaney. There was some into contact there. Uh, I, I don't think there's a very many drivers that would just outright let another team, whether it be teammate, owner team, uh, win the race. Now, We've seen it at Daytona. You have to have a drafting partner. If your best option is to push somebody, it's going to bring you to second in the team win. Absolutely. But if you have that shot, and I just watched, uh, Mike, I watched the uh, Race of Champions, or Race to the Championship, what's the name of the show on USA. Watch that after this race Sunday. Ryan Blaney talked about it. Yeah, he was going to stick with his teammate until the very end to make sure a Penske team won. But when he had his time to make his shot, he was going to take it. So, I, like I said, I, I really don't see anything. I didn't even see him slow down that much uh, where he said he got in the wall and then couldn't catch him no more. Uh, the last I saw, Rubicall, he was still gaining on him. He just needed another lap. I mean, it was another lap in that race would have been quite interesting for sure. But I believe Denny Hamlin. Uh, I'm not a big Denny Hamlin fan or, per se, but – I think he was sincere. You drive for me, just like Kyle Busch in the, in the truck. You're going to drive one of my trucks, and when I'm out there on the track, if you're going to win the race, you've got to beat me. I'm not going to give it to you. You've got to beat me. And I think Denny Hamlin is, is true in his statement with that. Mike? So there were, this was really a two-part question, wasn't it? The, the, question, the first part of the question was, is there a potential conflict of interest? And I think we're all in the agreement that, if it's not an actual conflict of interest, there's certainly the perception of a potential conflict of interest. So the next question, or the next part of this question is, what should NASCAR do about it? And that's, the, that's probably the harder nut to crack, because on one hand, NASCAR's got to consider the integrity of their sport. They don't want a owner doing underhanded things to try and manipulate the outcome of a race or anything like that. But on the other hand, Denny Hamlin kind of represents the new breed of team ownership. Uh, Your guys like Rick Hendrick, Richard Childress, Joe Gibbs, I kind of put them into the old breed of team owners, established 
organizations that have been around the sport forever, that have been very successful in the sport, but are very set in their way of doing things. And in a lot of ways, they approach NASCAR Cup Series racing in the exact same way that they did 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, those, those teams have not changed substantially, at least in terms of how they approach racing, versus the new type of owners, uh, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan at 2311, Justin Marks and Pitbull at Trackhouse are probably two of the premier organizations that I would, I would categorize in this new breed of owners where they are very engaged, they are willing to take chances, they're very vocal about things that they want to see change in the sport for good, maybe for the worse, but they're very vocal in taking an active role in the sport. And NASCAR desperately needs owners like that to carry the sport into the future. Rick Hendrick, Joe Gibbs, Richard Childress, et cetera, they've been phenomenal for the sport. The sport would not be what it is today without the inputs from those team owners. However, their time in the sport is very limited from here on out. All those guys are in their 70s or their 80s. Time marches on. They don't have a lot of time left, and NASCAR needs that new breed of energetic, engaged owners to carry the sport deeper into the 21st century. So going and, and, and heavy-handedly addressing Denny Hamlin and how he conducts himself on the racetrack reference uh, his, team, his teams that he owns, it's, it's really double-edged because you've got to protect the integrity of the sport – but at the same time, you have to protect the future of the sport in these new team owners. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I would agree. I'm not sure that I know the answer. I don't think NASCAR is going to do anything about it because you've got Brad Keselowski, who's a team owner. Uh, you, we just talked about uh, Kyle Busch wanting to be uh, – Kyle Busch is another team owner that goes out there and races with his team. And remember, there are all kinds of questions about him helping John Hunter Nemechek. So um, NASCAR knows that there's a perception like that out there. I'll give you another reason why why Denny Hamlin possibly didn't uh, try to help Bubba Wallace uh, is the owner's championship. The number 11 car is third in that owner's points uh, at 297 points, just one point behind Hendrick Motorsports, number 24. Uh, and and 2311's number 45 is fifth in those other points at 289. So he's, what, eight points back from that number 11. Uh, but Joe Gibbs Racing uh, wouldn't have been happy if Denny Hamlin, I mean, right now he's one point behind Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, that one position uh, could have made the difference. Uh, between second and third place for Joe Gibbs Racing. So I don't know. Denny Hamlin's finished two races now in second place in the playoffs. Uh, It's going to be an interesting scenario to watch. But, yeah, I I don't know what NASCAR can do about it, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, They probably could do uh, something about it, but it would kind of stall the growth of the sport. Uh, and I don't think they want to do that. So it, it is going to be interesting uh, to watch, though, because uh, we've already had a couple of situations here with Kyle Busch Motorsports where we thought Kyle Busch was helping a, one of his team members. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? I, I kind of disagree with you guys. Uh, for one, like I said, I don't think there is an issue that there was anything blatant. But on the other hand, NASCAR is bigger than one team or organization. 
And I think back, there's several cases where they have shown that. Uh, not to say there wasn't uh, some other things that played a role in it, but the penalty, first go back to uh, Michael Waltrip racing when Toyota first came in. First race they, they participated in that they got caught with supposedly jet fuel in the engine. NASCAR put them 100 points in the hole, which at that, that was the standard at that time, the biggest penalty as far as points when you're running for a season-long championship. Uh, that was for Toyota first coming in and Michael Waltrip Racing as the first Toyota team. Then we had the shenanigans for the playoffs when there was some collusion amongst that. NASCAR put out a penalty, and in, in my opinion was at least the final uh, nail in the coffin that brought down Michael Waltrip Racing. They were willing to do that because it was the integrity of the sport that has to be upheld first. So I think they need to address this, being we haven't seen anything definitive. I think they do need to at least address it and say, hey, we're not going to allow this to happen. And, and I think back to of, uh, what was it, last year was the first year of year before. There were some conspiracy people that, again, I think fans just try and stir stuff up or media, whichever it may be. But there were some questions at Daytona whether or not Denny Hamlin went below the line and made an illegal pass. And there were people saying, oh, NASCAR's letting him buy with it because he's coming in with Michael Jordan and then a second charter uh, that their plans for expansion. Denny Hamlin's already tried that card once said, hey, if we don't get changes, we're not going to expand to a third team. We're not going to grow any more than we are already. NASCAR's not going to buy into that. You talk about these teams, Roger Penske, uh, Richard Childress, Joe Gibbs Racing, Hendrick Motorsports. The, the head owner may be going away. We've already seen it. Rich, Rick Hendrick has got Jeff Gordon in line. Talk about Richard Childress Racing. Uh, it's kind of an assumption. Sharon mentioned it. The Dillon boys are, are uh, Mike Dillon locked in a very high position there, probably going to be the one to take over there. Joe Gibbs Racing has a couple of people in their organization. Okay, so the team's not going to go away. The head owner may, but the team isn't going to. Um, so NASCAR doesn't have to try and cater to somebody else as a new team or anybody else, um, and they shouldn't. I, they really shouldn't. I am so against that. I don't care if it's the fan favorite, most popular driver. You don't cater to anyone. Uh and I, and I don't want to sound cruel here, but think about it. We've lost Dale Earnhardt. The sport continued. Drivers like Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon have retired. Sport still exists. You don't cater to one individual. That is not what makes the sport. Okay. Uh, that'll be the last word there. Uh, there was something else I was going to mention, and I totally forgot what it was. <laughs> but, uh, Mike, what's our next hot topic? Well, I'm not going to say the honeymoon is over yet, but I think a little bit, just a little bit of reality is starting to sink in regarding North Wilkesboro and the all-star race for next year, specifically regarding traffic management. Uh, the North Carolina Department of Transportation has said there's not enough time to build any new interchanges off of US 421 to support any events at North Wilkesboro for this coming May. It might be on the table for the future, but it sounds like traffic management at North Wilkesboro is going to be an issue. Yeah. Jay, your thoughts? Well, we've seen this at other tracks in the first year or two. I think Michigan is one that struggled with it, and I don't remember if it was Kansas or Kentucky. Um, if Bristol. that's the case, yeah, the uh, Bristol is one. And that was kind of where my thought went. I know they're, they have 
campers um, that either do it for a little bit of extra money or um, shuttles, golf carts, or whatever that they'll run, you may end up doing something like that for this first year. And they knew that going in. I mean, that was, as Mike put up in, in our comments, um, and I'll let him talk more about it, but they knew that going in, that that was going to be one of the things they would have to address because it, it's just not capable of sustaining what we have now for a fan base and what they're going to bring in, even just for this first all-star. Uh, I know there were some issues uh, talked about for the uh, late model race that they held um, with this revitalization program. So yeah, maybe that they, they, they got more than they expected or whatever, but they, they knew that going into it. I, I think they will come with a plan. Is it going to be the best? No, uh, probably not, but it'll manage at least to then set themselves up. Like, like you're saying of what the future plans are to increase it so that it gets better. Uh, you may have to suffer through it for this first year, I guess. Um, that's, that's one of the concerns of the entire infrastructure of the facility. I know you talked about having the portable lighting, portable uh, bathrooms and all of that. They got a lot of work to do, uh, but give SMI credit. I mean, they've done this before. There's a lot of things that people said couldn't be done, putting dirt on Bristol, racing in a Coliseum, whatever it be. Uh, don't put that challenge in front of a team like SMI because they'll make it happen. Well, that's true. And one of the thoughts that I had is we talked about it earlier. The the seating at North Wilkesboro right now is only eighteen to twenty thousand, um, and and that's still a lot of people for traffic. And like uh, Mike mentioned, there were traffic problems even with the late lot model racing that took place. So it makes me wonder if they don't make this all-star race kind of a premium race uh, for you to be at. Only if, only the eighteen to 20,000 people are going to be allowed to race there. I don't know. Did they talk about expanding the seat at North Wilkesboro? Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, I, I do think, uh, especially for this first year, and if they do it for a second year, uh, they're going to have to limit the number of people that can come there, especially if they don't have the infrastructure to handle that many people. But you brought up another point, Mike, uh, and that is the hotels in the area. Uh, similar to Bristol, Bristol has this same issue. Uh, you have to stay 20 miles away from Bristol Motor Speedway if you're going to go to that track uh, and don't have a camper. So I don't know if they expand the camping. Maybe that's another option uh, so that people can bring in their campers and and stay there instead of uh, staying at a hotel 20 miles away. But I, I will say there, Bristol's a lot bigger uh, than what North Wilkesboro is, and they found a way to make that work. Uh, so for the 18 to 20,000 seats that they currently have, um, they're, they're going to have to find a way to make this work, and I do think that NASCAR will find a way. Um, is it going to be kind of a pain for everybody? Because I've heard for many years that Bristol Motor Speedway has had that same problem where they they don't have easy traffic in or out of that speedway, and yet people still want to go to Bristol Motor Speedway. So, uh it's it's the 
of marketing that's going to have to be in play here because according to uh, the tweet that was put out here about this, it's going to take years for them to make any traffic reconfigurations uh, to make that a little bit easier. Uh, My thing is I think they're going to have to limit the number of people that can be at that all-star race. Uh, And my other thing was that they had talked about the possibility of a three-day event, a weekend event, with other racing that was there in association with uh, the all-star race. So that's going to be interesting to see when the schedule comes out. And There's word saying that that schedule could come out as early as this week. So a lot of big news this week coming out. Mike, what are your thoughts? You kind of hit on it a little bit. My dad and I are planning on going to this race, and this is assuming we, we can get tickets. Obviously, they haven't released tickets for sale yet, and it's probably going to be a fast-click contest for who can get in there, log in, and buy their tickets as quickly as they possibly can. But we have been looking into hotel rooms and stuff, and the, play, the, the nearest hotel we could find that didn't look like the roaches were going to carry you away in the middle of the night is a 37-minute drive from the racetrack. And that's not taking into account any potential traffic jams because of inadequate roads. So 37-minute drive one way to get to the racetrack for a hotel that looks like it's reasonably clean. This is kind of the reason North Wilkesboro went away in the first place. Yes, it's a short track. Yes, it's historical. But North Wilkesboro is not in the middle of nowhere. North Wilkesboro is the capital of nowhere. There is nothing there, and that's the problem. It makes Darlington look like a beacon of civilization, and Darlington's in the middle of a swamp. North Wilkesboro is in the middle of nowhere, and the problem there is if we want to start talking about making new highway interchanges and all that stuff, it's really hard to make a case for that to support one or two NASCAR races a year and it's into a town that has no other real draw. So is NASCAR going to be able to bring in the kind of revenue and volume of tourism into this area to justify 10, 15, 20, however million dollars it's going to take to upgrade the highway structure into the capital of nowhere in Wilkes County, North Carolina? I don't know, but this is kind of, like I said, it's running up against why North Wilkesboro went away in the first place. I'm really glad it's back, and I really hope they can solve some of these problems, but fans are getting a bit of a reminder of why this place went away, and it wasn't because the racing was bad. It was because the economy and the market of NASCAR kind of moved away from it, and this is a place that's still very much stuck, not in the mid-'90s when they shut down, but stuck maybe in the early-'80s when they were still at their heyday. Jay? We'll have to see how they make it work. Like I said, I I have faith that, that they will one way or another, whether it's a temporary road, like I said, some type of transportation system. When it comes to the, the hotel thing, and this brought back a memory, and I was just getting permission, if you will, to discuss this, but I was not aware of that there is a Bristol, Virginia, on the other side of the state line there. So uh, Amanda booked for Bristol, and when she was giving me directions to the hotel, I was like, hey, we just went by the track. You know, where are we going? So um, it can be done. Uh, You talk about Eldora. We we talked some about that earlier in the night. That track is 10 miles out in the cornfield. They make it work. People are willing to, if it takes staying 30 minutes, an hour away. Um, Typically, when my family goes, we try to. That way you're not all jammed into one area. 
we stay 30 minutes to an hour outside of town, wherever it be. St. Louis doesn't matter. Um, but that's our preference. Now, whether or not, uh, you know, that deters some fans, I would hope not. Um, I really don't. And like I said, I can see where they may make even just a temporary road. You know, we see that when they do road construction or something. They can build a temporary road uh, quick enough so that then it at least eases the flow and the plan is to make it permanent in the years to come if that's the direction they go. Now, Mike's got some other issues there of then the other amenities that, that are there so that you don't, say, have to eat at the track or, or whatever. Um, that one's a little bit issue, bigger to solve. Again, you got a cooler and put some sandwich meat in it or whatever. You want to go? Make it happen. I mean, that's a choice you got to make. They don't let you take that into the track a lot of times, so, uh, Jay. No, I'm, but you can have it. You know, have your picnic out in the in the uh, tailgate, if you will. Um, however, okay. you want to use the word tailgate. Um, for us, it was food, not drinks, but um, that or, you know, a handful of snacks or whatever, whether you stuff them in your, in your sneakers or whatever to get them in, so be it. Uh, yeah, because I've had um, food taken away from me going into the track before, too. But you bring up some, uh, some interesting scenarios there. Um, the tailgates, a lot of people tailgate all day long. I know, uh, and that's true what you're saying about the hotels, too. When I was going to... Uh, and you and I think you were doing this too, Jay. When we were going to Chicagoland Speedway, we weren't staying right there in Joliet. Uh, the hotels, for one thing, weren't available. We had to stay uh, in more of the outlying area. Uh, that's a, a good twenty, uh, not twenty, but maybe thirty or forty minutes uh, from the track. So uh, I don't think that's unusual uh, for uh, race tracks. But uh, to Mike's point, it's the access to the track that's going to be the issue. And uh, NASCAR needs to really take a look at what the solutions for that could be. Uh, and it is going to be interesting to see how they do deal with that. Uh, and it's not just the hotel, it's the food as well. You can't run across the street and go to the McDonald's across the street uh, like you can at some of the tracks. Uh, that's just not going to happen. So it's the planning ahead and knowing that uh, before you come to the track uh, and how you deal with that. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It's kind of interesting that they kind of made this plan uh, probably knowing uh, that you can't make these uh, uh, road changes that quickly. It takes years. Uh, according to the source that we have here, in order to make that happen because there are all the approvals that have to be put into place as well as the funding that has to be put into place in order to make those things happen. So to me it's just going to be interesting to see how they deal with that at Northwilksboro. Mike brings up a good point. It is one of the reasons why they had to end up closing Northwilksboro because fans – didn't like uh, the hassle that they had to go through in order to get to the track. Uh, But I think the best way for NASCAR to handle that is to make this a lottery kind of thing where uh, it's a premium to be able to get to go to that track. And, yes, you're going to have to deal with some things, uh, but they certainly don't want to open it up to twice 
what that can do because that's just going to make it more of a nightmare. Uh, so I think they're going to have to limit the, the uh, number of people that can be there or open up the camping so that fans can get in there early and then, uh, you know, be there for the entire weekend. So we'll see how they deal with it. Mike, you get the final word. I don't care. I'll sleep in my car. I'll catch pigeons from under the grandstand. I'm going to North Wilkesboro. Uh, But, Sharon, you bring up some really good points. It's not so much about the location of the track. It's the access to it. A good uh, counterpoint to this is Talladega. So Talladega is kind of in the middle of of nowhere in a a little nothing town, kind of dead center between Birmingham and Atlanta. But the difference is Talladega is right off Interstate 20. So mm-hmm. you've got exits every 10 or 15 miles all the way between Birmingham and Atlanta that have hotels. They've got restaurants. They've got grocery stores. They've got everything you would need to support yourself. And since it's a major interstate, it's not a big hassle to drive from – you could stay in downtown Birmingham, and you could be in, at the racetrack in Talladega in 30 minutes or less because you've got the interstate there. That's not the case with a place like North Wilkesboro or even Darlington – for that matter, where at best you've got a little county road if it's not just a little two-lane bike path that they drive cars down, now old Moonshiner roads, to, to get to North Wilkesboro. So that's the big difference here, and that's probably going to be one of the biggest growing pains going forward. SMI has a lot of control and authority inside the property line for North Wilkesboro Speedway. They can build a, a giant palace of a racetrack with 150,000 seats and a bathroom for every fan and their own personal concierge and concession stand and everything, but that doesn't mean anything if those fans can't get to and from the racetrack in a reasonable way. So the, they're gonna have, they, they've done a lot of work already with the state of North Carolina to make this happen, and as they continue to develop North Wilkesboro to hopefully become a more modern racetrack that's able to handle a – 2020s era NASCAR Cup Series event, they continue to work with the state of North Carolina to set realistic goals and make sure that what SMI wants to do at the facility is something that the state of North Carolina can support with the road infrastructure to get the fans safely in and out of there. Yep. Something that I wanted to say that I forgot to say, too, is what I hope they don't do is I hope they don't do a thing where they bilk uh, money out of the fans that come to that racetrack and charge like eight bucks for a bottle of water. Uh, that's, that, that's not going to be a good thing to do. Uh, if they, if they want to build around North Wilkesboro, they need to find affordable options for the fans that are coming there, uh, without bilking them on hotels or food. So just another thought there. Okay, uh, Jay, do you have another uh, topic? Or No, we're kind of pretty close to the top of the hour here. Uh, whatever we have, we'll have to wait for Wednesday, and I know we'll have a lot to talk about on what Wednesday as well. So uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Uh, Mike, you go ahead and kick us off. Sure, it's Mike underscore Ozell on Twitter, Mike underscore O on Reddit. I am really looking forward to talking to you all on the next exciting episode of the Kyle Bush Chronicles scheduled for Wednesday. <laughs> so I'll talk to you then. Okay, Jay. You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. 
And since Mike already let the cat out of the bag, I, I guess I'll just add to it. Come Wednesday, we're going to talk about Kyle Busch. <laughs> <laughs> and all the late-breaking news from that. Uh, and hopefully we'll, maybe we'll have the schedule out by then, too, uh, for the 2023 schedule. A lot of folks seem to feel uh, that that will happen this week as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to the racing this weekend out of Bristol Motor Speedway. And with all of us talking about it, uh, Jay and I will be doing the preview show on the Wednesday podcast that we'll put out late Wednesday afternoon. And, uh, of course, our Hot Topic uh, uh, continuation uh, that will take place uh, on that podcast as well. Uh, I am Bamper Racing site on Twitter. We are Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including FanforRacing.com, where we have our Fan for Racing radio uh, podcast uh, uh, player that's available for anybody who wants to uh, tune in uh, to hear the podcast of this show or uh, our future show that's coming up on Wednesday evening. Uh, again, don't forget the racing starts Thursday night, which is why we're doing a Wednesday podcast and uh, we'll continue with uh, Saturday night as uh, Friday night and Saturday night. There is no racing uh, from NASCAR that will be taking place on Sunday, so uh, you can plan your schedule accordingly uh, uh, with that regard. Uh, a big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each of you for taking the time uh, to tune in to hear what we have to say. We also had our guest, Christian Rose, on the show earlier tonight during the second half hour uh always gives us a great interview and uh he'll be racing at bristol motor speedway this weekend for the arca menard series on thursday night so uh he drives the number 42 for cook racing technologies he gave us some insight on what to expect from him for the remainder of this season and possibly into the 2023 season so uh a lot to look forward there to there with Kristen Rose and uh, the West Virginia Tourism as his sponsor. So um, uh, thank you to him for being on the show and to our fan for racing crew, both uh, Jay Huseman tonight as well as Mike Orzel. You guys always uh, make it a lot of fun, and I appreciate both of you uh, for all that you do. Uh, and, Jay, thank you for standing in for uh, Sal Segallo tonight, and we'll look forward to talking to you again on Wednesday. All right. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. That's a wrap. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.